Cristante, Dybala from distance! That's all he needs. Torino stepped off him and how he has punished them. Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 115 and I'm your host, Jake, not joined today by Matt, um, but I have the pleasure of having one of our patrons, one of our first patrons, actually, Alan along with us. Hello, Alan. Hello, Jake. Hello. Nice to see you. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit tired, but I'm excited to take part in the podcast. That's going to be fun. Are you? I'm I'm great, thank you very much, bro. Also a little bit tired, but um very excited to get this on the road after dealing with all the technical um not issues per se, but technical steps that took to to get this on the road. Um yeah, Matthew is not here today because it's his birthday. And I don't know if he's mentioned it on the podcast, um, but this is a very special birthday for him. It's his lucky birthday. Um yeah. yeah. 27th February, he's turning 27, so it's a very big deal for him. So he's pretty much on a bender for the entire week. And we're going to have to carry his ass, right? Wonderful. Yeah. I was hoping it was something like that. That was the reason yeah. for his absence. <laughs> yeah, so it's better than the whole Australia. Um, yes, well, that's uh, precisely. Um, I wanted to ask you, Alan, um, you're, you're one of our patrons. Mm-hmm. What's it like being a patron? Is it worth it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> what what, what kind of things do you get from being a patron? Um, look, for me, the the first thing is the group chat. The group chat is lit. The group chat is fire. And that's... For me, it's become my go-to Serie discussion, the group chat. And yes. over the weekend, I'm sitting watching the games with the phone in my hand. I didn't used to do that before. So whenever something happens during the game, the group chat is, that's my go-to discussion. Yeah, um, we, we've absolutely yeah. ruined you so, because before you'd watch the football without a phone. But now exactly. you've got your phone. Exactly. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it, you, it's enhancing the experience. I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, and there's always people there making funny comments, good takes, and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, quite the spectrum of characters over there. You've got the, I don't call them the intellectuals, but the debaters, you know, the, the, the Matthias type of person. The, you, to be honest, you often hit us with like a, a paragraph with, with, a, with an observation, <laughs> and then we... An essay, we it's an essay. <laughs> it's an essay, yes. And, and I'm all for it, to be honest. I'm sure that's one of my favorite kinds of essays to read, that's for sure. But yeah, an action-packed um, episode we had. Um, not episode, sorry, match day we had. It was match day 26, of course. Um, <clears throat> let's not forget that all the games of match day 21 have been played. Um, the last two being Inter 4, Atalanta nil. This was quite a... Quite a show on Inter's end. Um, CDK opened the scoring in the 11th minute, but uh, it was disallowed. And then Darmian, Lautaro, Di Marco and Fratesi all went on to score. Fun fact, Fratesi has scored more goals than Arnautovic and Sanchez combined, (laughs) despite not really settling into this team. Um, Yeah, and Inter had a tough run of games, bro, and they've won them all. Yeah, definitely. They're cruising. Um, it's funny you mentioned that about Fratesi because I actually wrote it down in my 
notes as well. Oh, really? Nice. Yes, I wrote it down. Like he has played how many minutes? It was precisely 530 minutes or something, and he has four or five goals. It's something like that. Yeah. It's unbelievable, to be honest. Um, he's he's very good at inserting himself in these like offensive pockets, kind of like Mikitarian does, you know, the space mm-hmm. behind the strikers. He's very good at taking advantage of that. And we saw it a lot at Sassuolo. We saw it at Monza in Serie B. He was, I think, the highest scoring midfielder that one season he spent over there with Monza. And, and yeah, nice to see he's still got it, despite not hitting the ground running at Inter. But that's, to be honest, not his fault. They're... Their team is pretty much set. Yeah, look, I saw an interview with him quite recently, and uh, it appears, or given that he's telling the truth, which probably is rarely the case with his interviews, uh, it seems to have been the plan all along. Like he was not expecting to play much the first year. He said it himself, and it's completely, for him, it's completely fine to sit on the bench. And yeah, I guess he's content with this. Uh, first year introduction as it is yeah. Yeah. age is on his side and he's at a team adding nice accolades to his wikipedia page so i doubt he's he's complaining right because if you go on the honors section of fratesi's wikipedia it's going to start now scudetto coppa italia champions league runner up you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see the champions league runner up yeah We'll see how that goes, because that's actually a question I wanted to ask you, man. Inter right now seem absolutely unstoppable domestically. Um, outside of Italy, they're hailed to be in the top five teams internationally at the moment. Um, what, what do you think about that? Um, well, definitely they are the top five. Um, that's without a doubt, I think. The question is more tricky once you get like, who is the best, who's going to win the Champions League? And um, the margins are quite small as well, right? In in a game, you you can have the first goal by a random chance, and it can completely change the entire two leg tie, right? Yeah. So, but I don't know. I, Inter is you have Inter, you have Real Madrid, and you have Manchester City. I think that's the top three. Yeah. But of course, it's, it's debatable. Yeah, and it's in no particular order. I think any of those teams can take take on the other one on any given day, to be honest. It's pretty much a coin toss. Um, when it comes to domestic dom- dominance, though, um, no one's quite done what, what Inter have done. And it's actually quite a historic um, run that they're on because I think by, by this time, I, I, I heard somewhere that by this time, um, in the past 90-something years, no team has... Has accumulated as many points as Inter have basically in the last ninety something years after this many match days, something like that, something absolutely insane. Um, yeah, so we'll see. The, the question is, can they also beat um, Juve's point record under Conte? I believe it was one hundred and two points domestically. The, the record. I actually checked it. It was a listener question. Yeah, one hundred and two. Yes. Um, simple answer: No, they can't. Why, why not, Alan? Why not? Look, I did the math. Um, there are they will have to win every game but one for the rest of the season. And to be frank with you, like even if they try to do that, like fully committed, it's not a given that's going to happen. Um, but I also think that they're not going to try it 
we saw it uh, with the people rotation when he was prioritizing the domestic league in uh, January. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to do the opposite now in April, March, April. He's going to, I mean, they have secured the Scudetto, basically. They're never going to say it publicly, of course, but I am fairly confident that they are going to start rotating. And we can see now Chalanoglu is out. Um, Barella is going to be out. And yeah, they, they're not going to care that much about the league, I think. I, I tend to agree with you totally. My answer was going to be no, um, simply because they have so much leverage in the league that it would be foolish for them to push for this this record when they can rest players for the Champions League. You know, um, as we as you correctly mentioned, their injuries are mounting. Um, it's time to rotate the squad a little bit. Um, the substitutes have proven to be dependable, right? Mm-hmm. You can count on these guys, man, coming in. Like Carlos Augusto, Fratesi, Aslani to a certain extent. They've all done a pretty good job. Even Sanchez has proven to be quite a dependable player, man, nowadays. Um, still, at, at, at his age. Um, so, so yeah, I think it would be foolish for them to to continue fielding their strongest eleven in the in the league, yes. Um yeah, we also had another game that happened. This was Sassuolo 1, Napoli 6. Of course, Racic opened the scoring for Sassuolo with a very well-taken goal. And then Rahman equalized. Ozyman went on to score three goals despite only having 15 touches and four successful passes. And one assist as well. And Varadskelia went on to score two goals. Um, Napoli dominance under Calzona. Um, do you think that this is uh, this was the plan all along for Spalletti? Let's... Let's just try for De Laurentiis. Sorry, let's try to recreate the Spalletti team. And what better way to do it than to bring in um, Spalletti's assistant manager at the time? <laughs> you're laughing while you're asking the question, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say with a lot of confidence that there has been no plan from. The Laurentiis this season, everything has been done sporadically. <sighs> Opportunities have arisen and he has taken them, he has taken risks, he has taken gambles. It hasn't worked out and now he went with uh, Calzona. And look, they played one game against Barcelona, they played a game against Verona, and now they hit the ground running against Sassolo. But keep also in mind that Sassolo have a junior coach who just took the helm over there. Yeah. So it's a bit too early to tell, I think, if it's uh, Calzona's credit or if it's a coincidence, two new, two new coaches having, yeah, how do you say, it's, it's, they have had limited time to influence their squads. Of course, Absolutely. this is, yeah. Yeah, um, sorry to to cut you off over there. Um, it's it, it's definitely interesting. We haven't even mentioned on this on this um, podcast yet that Dionisi has been sacked. Matt and I have been have been wondering when that was going to happen for a while, and it's been a talking point in the group chat for a while as well. Sassuolo, for the talent they have in their team, are sitting in the relegation pool. Um, it's inexcusable to be honest, and I think Dionisi had to shoulder the responsibility, and he deservedly got got sacked over there. The question is. Was it the right call to bring in the Primavera manager? Why not just bring in someone like Ballardini, for example, who can, you know, tighten things at the back? You bring Berardi comes back from injury. You've got Berardi, Lauriente to feed Pinamonti, for example. 
and suddenly um, you've got a more like a tighter, more organized unit and with a bit of creative expression, creative freedom. I think that they have enough in their locker to get it done, I think, personally. Um, what do you think about that, Br bringing in a Primavera manager? Not the best thing to do in a relegation standoff, right? No. I mean, of course, in hindsight now, it's easy to tell that that turned out to be catastrophic in the first game, at least. Uh, yeah, it seems quite desperate. And as you say, why not try to bring in somebody more experienced at this level? But I, I'm, I will be careful to be too, um, how do you say, convinced whether it's right or wrong, because it's way too early to tell. Yeah. It seems like it's very wrong, but maybe there's something there that we are not aware of. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe he's the next big thing. Yeah. Um, we'll see. <laughs> Um, Napoli were on though they were on it I haven't seen them play like that all season um, and <clears throat> it came at the perfect time you know um, just in time for their second leg match against um, Barcelona and their, their next match against Juventus in the league mm -hmm. so they needed this confidence boost you know despite yes, it yeah. being against lowly Sassuolo look Italy needs this confidence boost because of the coefficient right Italy needs Napoli to beat um, Barcelona. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. While we're on the topic of European fixtures, um, Roma have drawn Brighton. So we're talking about De Rossi against De Zerbi, which does not bode well to me personally. Um, I think Roma will not progress. That's my prediction. Are you comfortable making a prediction? Mm, yeah. Uh, I'm leaning, I'm actually leaning towards Roma progressing. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, they are in such a good flow. Um, mm -hmm. Currently, everything is clicking for them correctly. Brighton has been like they've kind of lost their magic. Um, I have to be honest and say I don't really follow the Premier League that closely. But general, I pick up on general stuff and the general thing is that Brighton is starting to wumble. Mm -hmm. So, but Roma is on on a hot streak, so I think there's hope. Um, and uh, De Rossi has had the the Chelby as a coach as well, so they are a bit familiar with each other. They have apparently been exchanging text and tactics over time. So, yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I had no idea that they were that they were tight like that. Um, where where exactly were they together? I I don't know. Um, where was it? Trying to think. I know. I know. De Rossi went to Argentina randomly. Could it be there? I, I don't know. I highly doubt that. No, I don't know. I know. I saw an interview with De Rossi where he said that uh, during his time in Spal, he was in, in close contact to the Cherbi quite okay. often. Uh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong about him being his pupil at some point, but. I'm sure. I'm sure that Le Rossi has says that has said that uh, they are very close and they often speak together. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, that would be very interesting. A very fiery friendship over there. I can imagine them playing FIFA together, smacking each other on the back of the head. <laughs> 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 They're actually young enough to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Atalanta um, have drawn Sporting, Lisbon, um, who have been pretty bloody good this year. And that's going to be quite a showdown. 
Um, Atalanta might not be clear favourites over there at all, and they've just been demoralised by Inter. We'll see how they bounce back. Um, I'm I'm a little bit worried about this one as well. Uh. Yeah, yeah, this will be a, probably a tight one. And we, again, I have to generalise, but we have seen that the Portuguese teams have been doing quite well in Europe. Yeah. And I see no reason why Sporting should be an exception from that. And their form is really good. But again, I think Atalanta is also in a good form. I don't think that this Inter game is gonna, it's like too telling. Um, I think they, they played Milan not many, Milan not many days ago. I think Atalanta are gonna bounce back quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the way they had been playing up until the Inter game was very promising. And I would have easily called them like the, the fourth best team in Italy, the fourth team I'd like to face the least in Italy, um, probably for for sure. You know, when it comes to the full package, you know, because Bologna are good, but Atalanta's squad is deeper than this Bologna mm-hmm. team. You know? and, and if you catch Atalanta on a good day, they're going to humiliate you, you know. No, it's not just deeper. It has more quality, it has more talent. Uh, absolutely. Put, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as Matt and I often mention on the podcast as well, very intelligent players, man. Um, technically gifted with a good brain on them, man. Uh, yes. I, I like what Atalanta have done, putting such a clever team together. Yeah, Milan have drawn Slavia Prague, which is technically a good um, draw, but the other good teams in the Europa League, the other favourites, have also got favourable draws. So it's a matter of not slipping up and then kind of seeing who you face after this round, right? I mean, Slavia Prague are one of those Eastern teams where you go and the atmosphere just shocks you. <laughs> That's so cool, though. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. I hope to see flares. I want to see the stadium lit up. It's I, We need more of that in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I was so surprised by Rennes in the second leg. Yes. The stadium was bouncing. They were three 0 down at kickoff. I'm looking around. The stadium's fucking bouncing, man. Like it's getting the shots of the behind the the goalposts and all the way around. Everyone jumping, flares in the air, and the players are coming out. And I look at Matthew and I'm like, really? This is who you want to bring Chukwes and Okafor and Chow in, in for like <laughs> the midweek and yeah. play them here? Like no chance. And then they they scored early. I was like, this is gonna be a bad one for Milan. Ah, yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. Um, but did you also see the pre-game friendly thing between the fans, how the Ren fans were handing out sausages to the Milan fans? <laughs> that was awesome. That was, no, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Milan has to pass, right? There ha- anything else would be a disgrace, um, regardless of the support from the home Eastern European home crowd. It's Milan has to continue on. Uh, regarding the other teams getting easy or easier or whatever, yeah, opponents, favorable. yeah, yeah favorable. Um, Milan has to focus on them, and everything else is irrelevant until you draw Liverpool. I wouldn't care about Liverpool, it's irrelevant until you face them yourself. Absolutely, man. And you know, it's good. I mean, Milan had the group of death in the Champions League and they didn't qualify by one point, um, because of uh. Potentially non-existent penalty um, that was awarded in one game. I had to, to put uh, it lightly. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but yeah, this is the standard that Milan should be playing regularly with such a young team. It, it will only do them good to play these teams. So hopefully they can get past Slavia Prague and play against a big team on a big stage with everything to lose, you know. Yes. Yes, that's what we want to see. Yeah, then there's Inter Atletico, which is... I'm trying to think of a good comparison for this game. It's like... <laughs> I don't know. Two submissive lovers trying to trying to get on top of each other, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I think I think Inter has been quite a dominating side. I think they are the dominator right now, and uh, Atletico is the submissive one. But uh, yeah, it's been yeah, a bit of a change of rep for Inter lately. They've become quite an offensive unit, haven't they? They have. They're scoring goals for fun. They are on plus 55 now in the Serie A, which is mental, yeah. um, considering we are, what, 26 games in. Absolutely yeah. mental. Um, I think that Inter need to be careful. Um, of course, they are leading after the first leg, but I, I bet you 100% sure that Diego Simeone will say one goal, one goal deficit is... Good for them. If they yeah, want yeah, yeah. that, they, they are expecting to win at least one game. So they are playing at home. They expect to win a game with a goal and everything can happen. So I think need, Inter need to be uh, wary. Absolutely, man. Atletico are masters of luring you into a false sense of security and then just smacking you when you least expect it to get back into the game, man. And exactly. the atmosphere, the, the manager, the... the personnel they have when if they manage to get a goal they're gonna go all the way man they're, they're, they're hype you know those guys are just so so motivated they're such alphas you know yeah it's always <laughs> fun watching atletico it's always fun watching atletico um a very atypical spanish team i think when you when you look at the likes of other spanish teams they're very different and they usually prioritize this beautiful style of play like real betis with this passing football Atletico go against that completely, but they do it perfectly. Lots of Bayern, of course. Yeah, please, please. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think it's cool that they have kind of embraced this role of being the destroyers, the demoralizing side, the side that everybody hates, or not hates, but like the, not the anti-football, but the defensive um, Grinta team that's just going to destroy your spirit. I think it's cool that they have fully embraced that, even though... Yeah, <laughs> it's not a beautiful football, but it's fun. It's entertaining in a sense. They're the villains. Every every story needs a villain. So yes. yeah, absolutely, I I agree completely. Um, a little bit of Spanish catenaccio. <laughs> so Lazio and Bayern face each other, of course, and Napoli Barca. Um, any hot takes, opinions about those games? Um, no, I I still think Lazio are gonna get fucked. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna want to fuck them up after that first leg, um, yeah. and apparently now they're playing for Tuchel. The players, um, Tuchel said that he's gonna step down at the end of the season, and the the players apparently have taken it upon themselves to play for their manager. Apparently, so so That's we'll see. Such a weird mm -hmm. thing. Uh, yeah. If if you're gonna fire a coach, why are you announcing announcing it in February? Why can't you just keep silent for three more months and 
you then just leave in silence and the club has pl planned a replacement. What's the point of announcing it already? It's Absolutely. such a weird move. It, it really is, especially from a well-run organization such as Bayern Munich. But yeah. Um, and then we have... Yeah, for sure. And then we have Napoli. Okay, so you think Lazio are out? Um, I, I tend to agree with you. The second leg is going to be very difficult. Um, and then we have Napoli-Barca. Um, do you think that Napoli could edge this? Or would you say that Barca are strong favourites? Mm, nobody's a strong favourite. That's for sure. Mm, yeah. I don't know, Jake. Uh, I, think, I think it's difficult to predict this Napoli because we have seen them play draw against Verona. And we have seen them destroy Sassolo. So we, we don't. I think it's one of those games where everything can happen. I'm certainly not going to place a bet a bet on that one. Yeah, yeah, not touching that one with a stick. Definitely <laughs> not. Um, one thing I have forgotten to do that I will be doing before the round rundown is thanking our patrons, the people who support. I mentioned, um, yes, I mentioned our patron, but I forgot to shout out. The boys who make this show happen. Thank you, Ed, Tonna, Michael, Mint, Matthias, Luca, Kyle, David, Lena, Sluge, McDougal, Campbell, Tim, Anthony, Andrew, Andy, and finally, Alan. Thank you, Alan, for making this show happen. No, thank you. You're the ones who are making it happen. No, no, no. You're you're the backing behind it. If we got absolutely no feedback, I'm not sure we'd still be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, honestly. Um, Listen, I want to add one thing. Um, please. You asked me earlier about being a patron of the show, and I mentioned mm. this thing about uh, uh, the group chat, which is lit. Uh, but I, I signed up for the patron before the group chat existed. I signed up for the patron when it was there was no benefits to it, right? Yeah. And that's purely because I think you guys deserve it. It's you're doing a great job. You're giving me a lot of pleasure. You're giving me, you're making me enjoy Serie A more than I used to. So, without any benefits of the group chat or whatever, I would still be a patron because the product you're delivering is really, really good. So, thank you, not the patrons. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Very nice words. Thanks. So I think we can get into it. Uh -huh. uh, we'll do a rundown. Matt normally does this. Um, I'm going to give it my best. Um, Bologna took on Verona and beat them 2-0 quite comfortably over there. Monza took on Salernitana away from home where they won 2-0, um, sinking Salernitana even further down the table. Um, Juventus struggled to beat Frosinone and it took a last-second Rugani winner to finally um, confirm a 3-2 victory. For Inter, they played away from home to Lecce, and of course, they smashed them 4 0, uh, as Inter do nowadays. Roma um, played Torino, and this was quite um, a challenge for De Rossi. You know, it feels like every single um, game that Roma have nowadays is a new challenge for De Rossi. Now, his challenger was the mighty Juric, you know, the tactician Juric, um, who has this Torino playing quite well, and they're quite a solid unit and difficult to penetrate, and they managed. They beat them 3 2 at home. The vibes at the Olympico were impeccable as always. Sassuolo hosted Empoli and lost 3-2. Um, another Mbayan Young penalty over there. Third <laughs> in a row. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. 
I, I thought about taking him on fantasy football, and I was like, Jake, don't make this mistake. Turns out I should have totally gone for him. I had him on my shortlist as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it's too risky, right? Genoa played Udinese at home and won comfortably, to be honest, two goals to nil. Um, Napoli played against Cagliari in Sardinia and lost and drew, sorry, 1-1, thanks to a um, Luvumbo last-minute um, equaliser. Milan hosted Atalanta and drew 1-1 as well. And Fiorentina um, hosted Lazio and won 2-1. Um, and they did very well to not get demoralized because, boy, did they miss their chances over there. But yeah, um, we can jump straight into it. Um, I think we should open up with the Inter game, get that out of the way, bro. So we we can um, cheer up afterwards, get the worst part <laughs> over. <laughs> yes. But yes, bro, um, Inter um, played Lecce away from home. They won four goals to nil. This included eight alterations to the lineup for Inzaghi's men. And it showcased pretty much Inter's depth. I'm just going to read you the lineups right now. So Audero was in goal with Carlos Augusto, Debbie, and Bistek playing at the back. Di Marco and Dumfries were on the flanks with Mkhitaryan, Aslani, and Fratesi in the middle with Lautaro Martinez and Alexis Sanchez starting up front. For Lecce, it was pretty much business as usual with um, Tuba stepping in for Pongracic and um, Rapia playing in the hole behind Piccoli flanked by Angdist and Sansone. Um, <clears throat> yeah, in this game, bro, Lautaro scored his 100th Serie A goal. And what a way to get it too, right? Yes. He fought uh, for it. It didn't come easy. And and that first touch, man, was... The more you look at it and the more closely you look at it, the more you realize what he did, right, over there. Um, I thought he mishit the ball, but turns out he, he like... Put perf- the perfect amount of weight to just knock it forward into space between him and the goalkeeper, rushed for it and finished clinically. Nowadays, you can't give Lautaro an inch, man. No, yeah. I never expected that goal. I thought it was he's going to play it back or something. I thought uh, they're going to reset the attack, but no, he turns around and he does that. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Same here, same here. It's absolutely incredible. Um, Inter have extended their unbeaten away record to 12 matches. While Lecce faced their third consecutive scoreless defeat. Yes, um, I think that Lecce, I don't know if it would have made much of a difference, but they did miss Pongracic this game, definitely. Um, I think they missed a leader at the back, um, Tuba, to be honest. Um, again, Tuba and Bascarotta were all over the place, and I don't know if if that's just what happens when you play Inter nowadays, or if, if it's too harsh to criticize them. I, I think probably a combination of both but yeah I think that's something that happens when you play Inter uh, it's unavoidable Unavoidable. we see it in every game now they're crushing everybody so it's I don't want to judge them too harshly but of course getting their starting CVs of course will help them yeah especially the, the more seasoned one the more experienced one right the one who came into the kind of fill in the big boots of Umtiti, you know, um, he would have yes. definitely been missed this game. Um, there were goals from Fratesi as well. Ma- Martinez, of course, scoring a double, and then Devry getting the cherry on the icing on the cake in the seventy in the sixty seventh minute. Sorry, after a Di Marco assist. Um, yeah, man. Honestly, I've run out of things to say about this Inter team. Their system is absolutely incredible. The way they play football is, to be honest. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold back from saying it's it's revolutionary nowadays, man. 
the way that they defend and the way they attack their transitional play, man. The fact that their their midfield is this perfect combination of like creativity and industry. And and you look at the the personnel this game, it was just it made perfect sense, man. Mikitarian is is the perfect player for this inter midfield against all odds. He's so good at advancing. He's so clever. He knows exactly where to position himself. He's a proper counter-attacking player, man. And he, he's not the fastest. He's not the, you know, he's not going to dribble everyone. But he's got this slight burst of acceleration that he can just drive the perfect length and just lay it off to a teammate or have a shot at goal. And it's it's pretty much incredible every time. And him yeah. flanked with the likes of Shalanoglu and Barella, that's a midfield partnership if I've ever seen one. No, look, Mickey is... Uh, he has all those things, but he's firmest, first and foremost a very intelligent football player. Yeah. He knows he does these runs when he does them, they look effortless because he yeah. knows how to time them, when to start, which direction to move, when to hold. And yeah, it's it, intelligence is on his stronger side and he makes it look easy and effortless. Yeah. yeah. And he's by far the smartest player in the midfield, I think, when it comes to vision and footballing IQ. And then second to him, this was the point I mentioned earlier on. Um, is, the competition isn't that strong, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got the likes of Denzel Dumfries, you know. But, um, Alexis Sanchez, man. Alexis Sanchez is another player with very high footballing IQ, man. And mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that we haven't seen him much. And he's actually a player I picked up on one of my fantasy leagues earlier on and before the season had even started. Because um, I thought he would feature, you know. The last time we saw him at Inter, he was used kind of like Luis Muriel was used, you know, being brought on towards the end of the games and just racking up assists and goals. And I thought, okay, this guy will have a similar role to play over here. And maybe now is the time for him to play this role. Mm, maybe. I, look, I think he has he has good industry, as, as you like to say. Like, he, he does the work. He He's there for his team. Um, but I think uh, as soon as he can be replaced, he's not going to play unless they have as long as they have other options, I don't see him playing that much, to be honest. Like, I respect the man, I respect his work, but that's it. It's those Udinese days are long gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Arsenal ones even longer gone. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. But now, of course, with um, Champions League games coming up, maybe he can enjoy a few league games, you know. Um, that's probably the most he's going to get. Um, yeah, Audero also was called into action and produced a few good saves this game. Emil Audero, um, he needed that because he he hasn't really played in a while, going from playing game in game out with um, Sampdoria to never featuring must be quite difficult. I didn't know that he was in Inter until I saw that lineup. <laughs> I totally missed it. Yeah. Uh, Did you think it was still the the ex Crotone man Cordas Cordas with the with the very dark? It's almost uh, like he's wearing eyeliner. That guy's like a punk rocker, you know. <laughs> no, I was looking at the lineup and it's like Aldero and you know, what's going on. Somebody has some stomach flu or whatever. It's like, wait, who Aldero? I know that guy. Who I had to Google him. I completely forgotten about him. I had to Google him. Oh shit, he was in Santoria. That's right. But he yeah. was. He was a decent goalkeeper. I find it weird that he's a backup. He could probably, he could probably try. I don't know where he could. Maybe he could replace Ochoa and Salernitana for sure. I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, Consigli is always a target. <laughs> no, I, I, nowadays. Hmm? He's 27 nowadays out there. Um, he's oh. still quite young, yeah. He has at least five years ahead of him, minimum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, of course, playing at Inter maybe might be what he wants, you know, just to go to a winning side, a big team finally, and try to fight for his spot. Um, shame that Summer was brought in for him because he stands absolutely no chance of featuring more often nowadays. <laughs> but yeah. Um, the second goalkeeper was an area that Inter really needed to strengthen after the whole Radu incident. Yeah. Yes. Which, which to this day, I will say this, since, since I am speaking on a podcast, I will say this, I think it's incredibly unfair to him, uh, Radu, because that third goal didn't change anything. They needed to win. They won a draw. The fact that he messed up. I think it's he's, getting, get, he's gotten too much heat on actually not being that impactful. But yeah, all news. Just wanted to say it. No, that's that's a very good point. He was definitely scapegoated, as many people are, man. You, you look at every team, you can mention a scapegoat, you know. Yes. Nowadays, um, like Milan, you know, Pioli. Pioli's a scapegoat. When things right. go well, wow, Leo is so good, Giroud. Um, when things go badly, oh, Pioli set them up for failure. Yes. And this is football, right? Um, a week is like a year. It's crazy. Look, when last, it comes to, yeah, yeah, please, sorry. Last season, uh, or was it the season before? Maybe I'm mixing up. Inter fans were scapegoating Di Marco. Look at them now. Yeah, yeah. I have two, two friends of mine are Inter fans. Um, shout out uh, Grima, Grima and Pete, yeah, they're childhood friends of mine. Um, you know, I made friends with them before I knew. <laughs> no, no, they're lovely, and I, I do love their, their takes um, and their banters witty you know it's it's not like the cheap banter the duh, 20 star duh. um and they, they, yeah exactly and they had described the marco last season as a decent squad player but nothing more and i was like guys you're you're absolutely insane you need to listen to seria spotlight because we've been highlighting the marco we've been raving about the marco since his hellas verona days and Look at him now. Uh, he's bloody incredible. And and I think he might be the player that they miss the most from that midfield when he's unavailable. Because yes. the transitions don't happen without him. He offers so much. He, he offers a new dimension that's not possible without him. Absolutely. Yeah. So Inter are currently in first place, of course, with 69 points. They've got a nice green slate over there. It says win, 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 win. Um, while all the way down in 14th, we've got Lecce with 24 points with just one win in their last five games. Um, I think we can move on to the next game. This is quite a straightforward one. You know, when it's a 4 0 victory, there's not really much to say, yeah. especially when it's between Inter and Lecce. Can, can I just say one thing about Inter? Please, uh, yes. Have you seen the still uh, from the game against Bayern Munich where they, Barella and was it? There were two midfielders who dropped out to the CB spot, and you had mm -hmm. the Vrai and the. CB. Oh yes. Yeah, and also in the game yesterday uh, against uh, oh my god, Atalanta. Atalanta. You have Barella dropping down on the right back position, playing Di Marco on the right wing position, not the left wing, the right wing position. My God, they are cooking there. What is Lemona cooking, bro? <laughs> yeah, there's some 
there's some dodgy things in that lemon salsa place. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's wild. Uh, and uh, I often find myself watching and thinking, thinking, what the hell is he doing there? You know, like I look at Pavard advancing, and then you see Barella sitting mm -hmm. in the mid uh, at the back in the fence. Yeah, the way they move is is very fluid, man. And everyone knows exactly what needs to be done from the starters to the substitutes, and that's all credit to Simon and Zaghi, who's really given this Inter team a new identity post Conte, which is very difficult to do because they already had their own, you know, system um, under Conte, which granted was similar, but this just seems like. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a little touch of pep in it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it, it's <laughs> it got some salt in it, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of yeah, yeah. Um, I think we can move on to Juve. Juve mm -hmm. played Barcelona. They um, won three two in the end, but boy, did they have to sweat! And when it comes to their lineup, they played a three five two formation, and were probably surprised by Frosinone, who mirrored. Their formation. Frosinone started with a 3 5 2 formation, and they don't often do this this season. Um, Chesney was in goal for Juve with Gatti, Bremer, and Rugani at the back. Cambiazo and Kostic were out wide with Mikeni, Locatelli, and Rabio playing in midfield. Vlaovic and Chiesa were the striking partnership. For Frosinone, it was Cerofolini in goal with Nadir Zortea, who I'm a big fan of at right back, Valeri on the left, um, Okoli. Romagnoli and Lirola as the centre-back trio, with Harui, Mazzitelli and Brescianini in the middle, and Sule and Kedira up front. Now, it all started with a Vlaovic goal in the third minute, and then Frosinone would shock the world when they would get goals in the 14th and the 27th minute through Kedira and Brescianini. Very nice work by Zortea to whip in a perfect ball to Kedira on the first goal, and Brescianini with a lovely strike in the 27th as well, the former Milan man to um, give Frosinone the lead. But then in the 32nd minute was Vlaovic with a cyborg-esque finish, very <laughs> Robocop-esque, you know, just like laser autolock shoot, like from the... <laughs> yeah, incredible. he's on fire these days. He really is, man. I, I saw a meme, you know, people arguing about Ozyman or Lautaro and just Juve, Juve fans, you know, just enjoying Vlaovic. Mm. Um, <laughs> he's really back to his best. And in the second half, of course, um, Allegri tried to spice things up. He brought on Yildiz and Wea um, in the 62nd minute instead of Chiesa and Kostic. This proved to not be... It, it wasn't quite enough as they couldn't get the ball over the line in the 95th minute. The unlikeliest of outlets managed to get Juve across the line. And it was Daniele Rugani, thanks to a Vlaovic assist. Um, yeah, man. I thought that Frosinone were going to get something here. Was the third goal a Vlaovic assist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you got two goals and an assist. Absolutely, yeah. Mr. Juve now it is. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, tell yeah. me, tell me. No, I, okay. I was going to go on. Yeah, the online, uh, the, the pleasures of online. Yeah, it's, it's communication. Really, yeah. It really is. Um, and I'm, I'm quite a talkative Mediterranean man myself, so I'm constantly <laughs> interrupting everyone. Um, already, so this doesn't help at all. <laughs> no, please interrupt me as much as you want. That's yeah. Yeah, um, this victory maintains Juve's unbeaten head-to-head -head record against Frosinone. They've got eight wins and one draw. Um, they this was Vlaovic's 75th Serie A goal that inspired um, Juve's comeback. 
I was I was quite impressed, to be honest, by quite a few players this game. Um, first of all, McKenny man in that first goal had that touch, man. Mm-hmm. That first touch was amazing. I didn't think that Weston was capable of a first touch of that caliber. And, and, really and the run, and the run as well. The run, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Perfectly Everything about it. Yeah, and the run, the ball, the touch. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of scapegoats, he's another scapegoat as well for UEFA fans and. I mean, look, two assists, and who was it that Juventus played? It was rather good the previous game as well for Juventus. What was that game? I can't remember right now. Um, it was a draw. That's who. Hellas Verona, was it? Uh, was it that one? No. I think so. Let's oh. let's take it. Let's quickly <laughs> check. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, the previous game was the Verona one. Yes, away from home, two two. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, he he was pretty good that game. So he's been good all season, McKenny man. He's been super revelation for them after going off to Leeds and and disappearing off the face of the earth. Everyone probably thought that I'd never see McKenny in a Juve kit again, but here he is, man, playing such an important role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he did great, but Lawish, man, he's 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 not just inside the box anymore. He's coming down, he's picking up the ball, he's playing other, he's making the players around him good as well as he's performing himself. So hats off to him. I hate to see it though. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, one thing I admire about Vlaovic is even when he was at his worst and when nothing was working for him, he was always a, a team player, man. He was always the perfect professional. He was always working hard. He always put the team first, even when he was flopping. Like, like He had certain moments that were embarrassing when he was off form. You know what happens to a striker? You get in your head, yeah. you end up being shot on confidence. like and. But he was always there, man. He always celebrated hard with his teammates when they scored. He was always a proper example, man. And it's nice to see that it's working out for him. And it was always going to work out for him because he's he's that type of person. Am I allowed to shit a little bit on him, though? <laughs> is it about his hairstyle? Because he looks a little bit... Uh, oh, yeah. His hair is definitely weird. Who cut that? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, he has... I think he has a bit poor attitude. Uh, since you were mentioning like his, hmm. his teammates, when things don't, when he doesn't get the passes he wants, he's a bit of a crybaby. I have to say, uh, I think he is complaining maybe a bit too much. And he has he does this one thing that I hate from a lot of football players. Lukaku also does this as well. I was going to say Lukaku, man. I was going <laughs> to compare. I was going to make the comparison, but go on. Uh, okay, so he does this one thing where. Uh, let's say a player, a teammate has the ball, he's dribbling inside the box and he tries to shoot or he tries to cross and it ends up in nothing. Vlaovic comes three seconds later and is pointing with both hands down to his feet. Oh, yeah. I-, I was here. I was here. No, you were not there. You were not there when the pass came. You were not there when the run started. You were there three seconds after, which is completely different. So uh, he does yeah. this, and it I, actually bothers me. Lukaku does the same thing. It's like the run is over. He's already shot at goal. It didn't happen. Lukaku continues his run for some reason for two more meters, and it's like, I'm wide open. What are you doing? Yeah. No, you're not. You're not wide open. Shut up. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's not the strikers, right? I mean, they're they're technically well within their rights to to complain and to demand the ball because low scoring figures for strikers reflects very badly on them and on their CV. You know, no one wants a striker who doesn't score. So so yeah, it's 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 a little bit understandable. The funniest one of the week, though, um, it, it is annoying. By the way, the, the person who I couldn't stand is when Higuain joined Milan. I couldn't wait for him to leave from the get go. Do you yeah. remember the way he spoke to his teammates? The way he he just acted like he was bigger than the club man, like arrogant cunt. Sorry, yeah, to literally, say literally, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't stand watching him. And then the meltdown against Juve, that, that was a time when I actually realized, like, this guy is is not okay, man. And the price tag, it was a record fee at the time, wasn't it? it was, yeah, I believe so. Or for Milan, at least. Of course, the record fee, fee was from Napoli to Juventus, which was 90 million. If I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for Milan, it was also, like, top uh, 10 most expensive players ever. Yeah. Absolutely, for him to flop like that. But he did have a few moments where he showed us what Pipita can do. No, he's scoring out of nothing. He's a turn and shoot. I, I love that. But um, yeah, he's a good yeah. Absolutely. Um, as long as it's not an important game. Um, one thing I would like to to I, I wanted to mention was Simeone, man. This match day, Simeone had the exact same thing, man. Honestly, Napoli lost. I'm, I'm jumping to Napoli a little bit because you mentioned this thing about strikers, you know, pointing yeah. right in front of them for, for their teammates to, to play them the ball. You should have passed. I was open. Mm-hmm. Um, Simeone screamed. He screamed at one point when they were 1-0 up towards the end of the game. I think it was Politano who, who had a clear shot at goal. But Simeone was wide open on the left and, and, and um, Politano went for an outstep shot instead. And you literally hear from from the TV, you hear Simeone going, like, like literally screaming. And, and Politano apologizing. Only three minutes later, Simeone was in the exact same position and he shot and he missed with a teammate wide open. I was like, you, sir, are a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. That, that's the difference between a striker and a winger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the winger will... Will will forgive his his teammate essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, We've sidetracked a little bit, haven't we? Yes, totally. Um, I want to go back and talk about Kedira. Um, Kedira scored his first goal since September. Can you believe that? He's the leading. He's a starting striker for um for Frosinone. Of course, Kyle George has been stepping in a little bit. But uh, as a player, I don't know if you've watched a lot of Kedira, but I've never really been much of a fan. I used to watch him at Bari. And I always thought that as a striker, he has a lot. He leaves quite a bit to be desired, personally. Um, I want. I'm curious about his age because I don't even think he's that young anymore. Um, Kedira, he's 26 years old. Uh, I think that this, at the moment, might be his level. And I think another year in Serie B or another two years in Serie B or just staying in Serie B would probably be better for him. Yeah, there, there's nothing remarkable about him. Uh, you don't really notice him when he plays. Uh, yeah. But in this, in his first goal, I will credit him um, in the build-up. You can, if you follow just him in the build-up, not not the beautiful pass from Sule and mm-hmm. the cross and everything. You can see that Cambiasso is. They are wrestling. They're, he's holding him with both hands on his shoulders. He's pushing it. Kedira is pushing back. It's like this is not football at all. This is a wrestling match. 
Kedira somehow slips him. He goes behind Cambiasa's back. He tricks him and then runs back out towards the penalty spot. Mm. And Cambiasa has no idea where he is. So he he did he did a clever fox in the box movement there to get mm. rid of the marking man. But I agree with you, as you say, there's nothing nothing extraordinary about him. There's nothing that makes that brings attention to him really. But that's a that's a very good point because he totally outsmarted a younger player, which was always nice to see. So hopefully this could prove to be a little bit of a confidence boost for him. I'm scoring against Juve will always be a confidence boost. Um, yeah, um, a player who's never impressed me, but at the end of the day, maybe it's not the perfect time to mention this because he has just scored against me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I do want to highlight, man, Zortea, in my opinion. First of all, I'm surprised that Atalanta have loaned him out because I think he's deployable even at that level. Um, he has been a beast at Frosinone in the two or three games he's played. Bombing up and down that flank, man. He's offensively, he's a threat. Defensively, not as good as he's offensively, but he's still quite dependable. I'm a big fan of of Zortea. I think he's he's got a bright future ahead of him. But but in Atalanta's defense, Emil Holm has been rather good as well. I have to say, Emil Holm has been a revelation for them, man. Yes. And, and I can't believe this is the same Emil Holm that was at Spezia. <laughs> he's good, man. Wow, so, he's good. So I think it's okay that Zortea is not in Atalanta right now because we would be denied of watching him play, I think. Absolutely, um, yes. And there's Zappa Costa there as well. So so he's definitely got competition, if, if you were to say. Yeah. But I was surprised because in the first few games, Zortea played. He actually played. And, and he, I think he scored for Atalanta in the opening, one of the opening three games of the season. So I did think that he was going to... And feature, but yeah, a lone move at Frosinone right now. A very exciting Frosinone who play an attacking brand of football. Um, will definitely be good for, for Nadir Zortea. And trust me, when it comes to Atalanta, they, they know what they're doing when it comes <laughs> yeah. to player development. Yeah. Yes, they know how to spike the drinks, absolutely. What? Yeah, they know how to, yeah, bend the rules a little bit. This is Brechanini's third goal of the season. He's also been looking quite good. Um, when it comes to this Frosinone side, um, the individuals look good because of the brand of football they play, right? It's offensive, it's exciting. There are many highlights, many moments for these players. But personally, if you had to ask me, Alan, I, I would say very confidently that, okay, the th three teams that are going to get relegated is a very difficult question, right? Mm -hmm. Ones I'm most comfortable the most confident about are Salernitano, of course. And mm -hmm. second to them, I would say Frosinone. Mm -hmm. I would say Frosinone. And I'm sure you know this because you're, you're a listener. But what do you think? I would say it's um, it's Salernitano, Frosinone, and Hellas Verona. That's my take. And Hellas Verona, I'm not confident at all about because they've actually been pretty bloody good. Yes, that's really weird considering they've sold so many players. Yeah. They're, they're almost seem better but yeah we're not talking about Verona right now <laughs> um, look I I remember you put up that poll in the wonderful group chat subscribe everybody group chat group chat it's amazing <laughs> um, I the thing about Frosinone is that they have had a tough couple of runs they have played good teams they will have easier games to come and it's an offensive team. I didn't vote them to get relegated. I voted on Salernitana, Verona, the same reason as you. 
and I went for Sassuolo actually. Wow. <laughs> um, yes. Um, but the thing about an offensive team is that they can lose, let's say they lose four games in a row, but I think Frosinone has, has it in them to win that fifth game. And when the margins are as uh, close as they are in the bottom group, winning, let's say if they get nine more points uh, for the rest of the season, that might, might be actually enough for them. Uh, maybe not nine, maybe 12. But oh, yeah. I, I think they have it in them to get a surprise victory. And they did rattle Juventus uh, away from home. So it's not... I, I think they have a chance, even though they're getting steamrolled in a lot of games against the top sides. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, that's always going to happen when you're not, not stubborn in a negative way, you know, but, but when you're stubborn with your approach, that's always going to happen when you attack every single person, every single team that you come up against. That's, that's always going to happen, right? Um, you might, you might experience getting, you might experience quite a few losses. Um, the the thing, a question for you, um, and, and maybe um, um, I'm putting you a bit on the spot over here, but you you mentioned that um, Frosinone have the potential to win one odd game in every five, but wouldn't you say the same about Sassuolo when Berardi's back? Mm, definitely. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. Yeah, that's the thing, and it's it's. When Barad is back, it's not going to be just an odd game. It's going to be against Inter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. It's going to happen. Well, that's not a possibility anymore. They have played each other twice, but or have they? Ah, never mind. Uh, but yeah, I, I um, you're right. I you are. But let me just say this. Uh, sorry to go back a little bit because I switched my tabs a little bit while you were talking. Frosinone recently played. Uh, Fiorentina, Roma, Juventus. Their next games are going to be against Lecce, uh, Sassolo, Lazio, Genoa, Bologna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's, good, bro. That's so going guess, to be very telling and very entertaining for us to watch. Yes, but your your counter argument definitely stands. It's if Frosinone can win an odd game here and there, definitely Sassuolo can do the same once they get uh, Berardi back. Um, but there's something about this Sassuolo team that frustrates me a lot. I think they're really, really poor. Uh, the way I justified it in the group chat is that I wrote that I have a feeling, this is my feeling, most likely it's wrong. I have a feeling that a lot of these other teams, they have this final do-or-die spirit in them. They want to die. They want to kill. You know? I yeah. can't see Sassolo doing that. I, I, For me, Sassolo is like, let's see what Berardi does. <laughs> I don't see that team spirit, the will to sacrifice themselves. I don't see that will to die for the team that I can imagine the other ones can get. That's a that's a very good point, and that's something that I've I've also observed with um, with Sassuolo because it's almost pedestrian. It's almost yeah. like like everyone just blaming each other when a goal is scored, and they have no team spirit. However, I feel like that team spirit, and then is all embodied and encapsulated by one man, and that is Berardi, because Berardi can't stand losing. He's so he's the type man that he will. 
he'll do everything within his his power, within his um, skill sets to try to avoid a loss and to try to fire up his teammates and to try to lead the way. He's become a proper leader over there, man. And look, the next team to the next team to to basically buy Berardi is going to be a very lucky team. I know he doesn't have the the flashiest name. I know that he's got quite a a bad rep as a player who's settled and a player who's always been afraid of the big stage. But that, in my opinion, is not true at all because he has always thrived whenever Sassuolo had a big stage game against a big opponent. Who was the man to win them the game? Yeah. It was always Baradi, man. Always. I totally agree with you. Uh, 100%. And I think the criticism towards him and the stats and the national team, very unfair. Um, I think he has shown that he has the quality. And look at the team with with him, and look at the team without him, and that speaks speaks for itself. It's like I don't need to say anything else. I've, that's my impression. Absolutely, man. When I when I was growing up, I had Di Natale as the <laughs> provincial king. Uh-huh. Now it's Berardi, man. Berardi, mm. Berardi's absolutely amazing, and we're 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 lucky to to watch him. And even when he's trying to force his way out, when he comes back into that team, he's leading the way. Um, what about Fabrizio Micoli? Fabrizio Micoli, man. Fabrizio, I had the pleasure, I'm sure you know, of, of watching him play for our local Berkeley Cara side. Incredible. You're a lucky man. Dude, incredible. He was he was slightly overweight. Let's let's keep that between us and everyone listening. He was, he was um, and the, career. He was never fit. Yeah, he was always I, I think that's what stopped him, to be honest, um, ultimately from from really becoming a, a great player because he was fucking incredible man the things he could do on the pitch sh- shooting from anywhere anywhere <laughs> like a superhero and you look at him he's just this tiny sicilian stocky guy you know and and then when he came to malta he had the mcdonald's logo on his on his stomach <laughs> <laughs> yeah he utilized that sponsor- sponsorship right <laughs> yeah i think so i think i think that's uh, fair enough but yeah man um Juve, honestly um i think that this was a very important victory for them finally winning a game in february um i they were destined for another draw towards the end and and um to be honest they were resilient enough and i'm going to say it you know maybe they were lucky okay that rugani found himself in that place but first of all that finish by rugani was was very good that was a tight angle you know squeezing it into the back of the net from from that angle was very good by rugani but it's the fact that they never gave up it's the fact that this Juve team this is what i told matt in the last episode um, they are demoralized. The Scudetto has slipped out of their hands. They're playing once a week. Top four is pretty much secure. They don't really have any major worries, you know. I mean, they're probably going to get over the line. They're probably going to qualify for Champions League. So they're at the stage right now where they're at a crisis. Why are we playing? Why the hell are we even playing? What is there to fight for, you know? Apart from trying to impress and trying to, to improve my own records and my own statistics. Why? Am I playing week in, week out? What is yeah. there to win? Nothing. But there is pride to it. Um, you you saw it in the game. I I have to confess, I didn't watch the first half. I tuned in during the second half because I was like, ooh, you might actually drop points here. <laughs> <laughs> and they fought. It didn't look like a team that was careless. They fought and... You know, okay, you can say that they were lucky with the goal in the end and, like, he takes the shot from that weird angle and it's a, it's a Hail Mary. 
he, yeah. he probably doesn't believe it himself, but what else is he going to do? He's going to take the shot, right? But on the other hand, you can also say they were quite unlucky to not score earlier because they completely dominated the second half. What, what I was watching, you were dominating every aspect of the game. Totally. But the big chances were missing, <clears throat> which is probably yeah. the biggest criticism against Juve maybe this entire season or Allegri's Juve or if you're an Allegri out, whatever. The chances were lacking, but in terms of the play, they were two leagues above Frosinone. <laughs> maybe I'm exaggerating, but so yeah, they were lucky with the goal, um, but they were they were so much better that I think they deserved it. Obviously. No, no, absolutely, yes. Um, the the statistics speak for themselves. You know, um, I'm going to mention XG. Um, <laughs> trigger warning. Um, Juve had a 2.19 XG, while Frosinone had 0.48. You know, I mean, Frosinone had two shots on target, and they scored both of them. That's always quite telling. You know, you look at Juve, for example, they had 22 attempts, five of them being on target, and they managed to get three goals. That's still an, an impressive conversion rate when it comes to the shots on target. Definitely. Um, yeah, at, at this point, I think it would be a good time for Juve to really figure out what are we going to do next season? What's the plan from here? What are we going to do with Chiesa? Um, what are we going to do with um, with the midfield? With the, you know, you know who's who's going to stay? Are we bringing Soler back? These are the questions I think that need to be addressed now. I would go as far as using the next few games just simply as an experiment for Chiesa. I would deploy Chiesa in different situations, play him on the wing, play him as a freaking nine, it doesn't matter, play him alongside Vlaovic again. Just see what you're going to do with this guy because as it stands right now, I think they're probably leaning towards taking the next offer that comes in for him. Yeah, you're, you're leading on to the question you got from, was it Frank now, about what... Yes, um, exactly. Yes, I, 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 t- I tend to do this. I ask them before, <laughs> before the question <laughs> segment, yes. But Frank um, did ask us this question. I will get to it again in the end. We'll, we'll just shout yeah. them out. But what do um, you think, Alan? Do you think that they should sell him? Look, I think <clears throat> I thought about the, the question a little bit. So I'll just say the question now. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it if you have it. Uh, I don't, but I have it for memory. It's what, what should you do with Chiesa? Should they prolong him or should they let him go? Given, I think the salary was a question as well there. Yeah. Um, or if they should use the fund somewhere else, right? I think exactly. you bet. Juventus, first of all, needs to find out who's going to be their head coach next season. That's step one. After you have decided that, you need you can make a stand on what to do with Chiesa. But playing him alongside with Vlaovic, as they were doing in this game, didn't really work that well. And I'm, I'm a bit sad to say, because I like him, uh, he's he's complaining. He's a whiny little bitch as well. <laughs> but but I like his football. I like what he does with the ball in his feet, right? Um, in this game, was it towards midway in the second half? Was it around the 70th minute? I can't remember. There was an open... Frosinone was left open. Vlaovic had the ball in the center. He played Chiesa through. Chiesa mm-hmm. can... He could not 
like Chiesa and the Euros would have outrun the entire Frosinone team. Instead, he had to slow down. Uh, he, he just didn't look like himself at all. So, so yeah, he's, he's not the same. I agree. But I also agree with, with what you said. They need to try him out a little bit. And they need to figure out who the, ne- who the coach for next year is. If they're going to play like this next season as well, get rid of him. There is no yeah. point to have a player of that quality on that salary doing what any other player could do. A bit, bit, bit harsh, maybe, but there's the way he plays now. He doesn't stand out at all. But Not the salary he receives does stand out. Absolutely, yeah. uh, that, that's that's exactly it. Perfectly put, man. That's it. Well, there are expectations that come with a high salary, and and he's not quite living up to them at the moment. You see him; his his work ethic is never under investigation. He's never he, you can't question him as a professional man. What you can question is how these injuries have affected him. If he's mm-hmm. ever really one hundred percent fit, because that's the question with with Kiesa. is he ever fit nowadays? Is he playing mm-hmm. at seventy percent constantly? Because um, as you said, in the Euros, he would blitz past defenders and absolutely destroy them. Here we're seeing him slowing down and and playing back something. Yeah, Maybe it's preventative. I don't know. Maybe he was instructed to take it easy. Don't, <laughs> don't go too offensive. This is a leg yeah, ball. You need to keep exactly. <laughs> Goals are secondary. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely a weird one with Chiesa because the, the type of player he is, poor guy, I mean, you need to kind of be lucky enough with injuries to get longevity, man, because you 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 fizzle out very quickly. Like imagine Theo Hernandez. Imagine Theo Hernandez had had the streak of injuries Chiesa had. He would totally change as a player. Yes. Totally. Uh, he would go back to being a CB and he would totally dominate. Exactly. <laughs> Regardless, Theo dominates. That's it. And guess yeah. who I have at the back of this, by the way, bro? Oh uh, yeah, we haven't commented on it. It's a beautiful. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like an Arab prince. <laughs> Obviously, somebody listening on only Spotify won't know, but you're wearing the... Is it the special edition kit that's called from yes. the white Yeah, one? this is. I believe this is the new Away kit, no? Or am I mistaken? Is it the fourth kit? I'm, I'm not sure. It's one of I them. Though. it's the fourth one, yeah. It might be the fourth one, yeah. I mean, it's probably the fourth one. I'm just mixing it up because it's white. But, but yeah, it's one of the new special kits. Um, if you tune into YouTube, you might be able to see it. Um, I say might because I can't promise you that I'm going to manage to put this stuff together. Um, I'll try my best. We are recording this, and I'm sure. I'm sure you, you can head over to YouTube to see our our beautiful faces. Is that a scarf or is that your chair, by the way, with the Milan logo? Oh, no, it's a scarf. scarf. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I I I have I, I don't actually have this out usually, but. I tried to decorate it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I love my my uh, Saponara shirt on display. Is the... There we go. <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah. Of course, of course. Oh, I've that's a sweet Please. cake shake with. Um, and what's not visible right now on the video is that it has the Gumo um, lines. Uh huh. So if anybody has been in Milan on the city, you will recognize the Gumo in there. Yeah. And it's you're wearing the, your Mexico kit, aren't you? Yes, my Mexico yeah. kit. Yeah. Do you have a name at the back? Nope. It's currently nameless. Um, 
I was hoping that uh, Santi Jimenez maybe would sign for Milan one day and then I could get his name, but for now it's nameless. Fair enough, fair enough, bro. Um, nameless, to be honest, kind of look cool too, you know, aesthetically. So um, let's get back to it. Juve are currently in second with 57 points, while Frosinone are down in 16th with 23 points. And we can move on to the Milan game, bro. It's Milan. One Atalanta one. Can we skip it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be it would be nice to skip it. And I'm sure you you're gonna have a lot to say about this one because you you couldn't believe your eyes with the penalty, right? No, I couldn't. <laughs> oh, Jake is so frustrating. I'm I'm still I'm still angry. I'm still I of course. Yeah. It's so it, it the thing that's. The most annoying thing about that penalty, I'm not even going to go to lineups, I'm going to jump straight into it, okay. Dude, Atalanta were awarded a penalty for, what, what was it, a high boot by Giroud on Emil Holm. Holm went down holding his face, he was nowhere near his face, right? So, if anything, the contact was made with his chest and he played the ball and it was the slightest con contact imaginable, right? Now, Orsato, the infamous Orsato, the same Orsato who Modric called a disaster of a referee, um, ran up to the monitor. As he was running up to the monitor, Pioli approached him, said something to him. I'm not quite sure what, um, what Pioli said to him, of course, but he was booked immediately, you know, Orsato, as he's a disciplinarian. Yeah. He's uh, a teacher, you know, he's a fucking yellow card immediately. He goes to the monitor. And it's almost like he did it out of spite because Pioli spoke to him. So it was almost like a punishment. That's what it felt like. He saw one angle that wasn't clear at all. We, we saw what Orsato was seeing. Yeah, one Not time, clear. one angle, one time. One angle, one time, turns round, whistles, penalty awarded. What are you doing? And yeah. this is a proud referee, Orsato. Orsato is the type of referee who, who doesn't like to be proven wrong. You know, he's the type of referee who would challenge VAR usually. So I don't know what the hell this was all about, man. That penalty was fucking bogus to me. Bogus. Total bullshit. Uh, everybody who's seen it has said it's bullshit. Every pundit I've listened to said it's bullshit. The commentary on the, the Norwegian TV that I was watching said it's bullshit. I was re-watching the highlight uh, for this uh, recording. They said it's bullshit. The English commentary there's, it's not a penalty. It's never is a penalty. Uh, I want to say one thing about Orsato. I, I, honestly, I don't want to talk about the penalty too much because it's it's it angers me. Uh, it's it's never a penalty. Holm is coming from behind on Giroud. Giroud lifts his foot. He pulls it back as soon as he sees that a collision is happening. The touch is so minimal. It I almost doubt that Emil Holm even felt it, you know. He holds his face, the entire thing is a charade, and Orsato goes and gives a yellow because he's the big man and Pioli. Let's assume Pioli said something bad. Okay, so the penalty is bullshit. What I almost frustrated, frustrated me equally much was the yellow on Rafa Leao at the end of the first half. Mm. He gets... He gets butchered out there. He stands up and it's like, what the fuck, ref? Something you see players do 10 times per half of the game. 
This is how Barella plays football. Barella does that all game. Like, yeah. yeah, precisely. Within a split second, Orsato is lifting the yellow card, right? Second half, uh, Lukman enters for uh, Atlanta. Uh, Atalanta, sorry. He does something similar. Lukman is a bit more, um, his body language is a bit more aggressive. He does this thing with his arm, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, he's pissed off. Instantly yellow to Lukman. I disagree with that one too as well. What bothers me, and this is the big thing, after Lukman gets his first yellow, he gets fouled three or four times more that game. He does the same thing. He gets pissed off every time. He does the same movements like, what the fuck, ref? What, what is this? Blah, 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 blah. He got uh, the yellow first time he did that. He didn't get the yellow the uh, next three times. He did that exact same thing. Come on. Where's the consistency? I don't want Lukman to get double yellow for that. I think it would be wrong. But if you're going to set a standard, follow it. Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. There was also one moment, I think it was Lukman and Theo Hernandez. Was it Lukman? They were just shushing each other. Just both doing this Mm -hmm. to each other. Funny funny little moment. I, I couldn't believe how long they were doing it for. This. Like, are you yeah. really still going at it? Like, but yeah, um, that's the thing when it comes to these yellow cards. You know, if someone protests, you can easily hand out a yellow card. But what happens when they're on a yellow and they do it? Then it feels harsh. So, does mm-hmm. it really warrant the yellow card from the get go? Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you totally, um, Alan. Um, I think in a heated affair, this is this is competitive sports at the highest level. I think a yeah. little bit of dissent can be excused. A little bit of protest to the referee or sort of so the type to be like. Only the captain can talk to me. If you talk mm-hmm. to me and you're not the captain, you're getting a yellow card, mm-hmm. which is a kind uh, of an old school approach, yes. It's ridiculous. I want to say one more thing though. I think Scal- Scalvini, this is something that frustrated me throughout the game. Credit to Scalvini, he played a great game, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's a very um, good player. He fouled Lao, him fouling Lao, nobody else, just Lao, at least five times. How like that was the part of the plan, the plan of match game for Scalvini. If Leao is about to pass you, you foul him. He did it five times minimum. I didn't count, but minimum five times. How does that not accumulate to a yellow? But Leao and Lukman getting upset because they got butchered out there is an instant yellow. It's like you're more concerned about your ego than protecting the player. You're supposed to protect life. You're more concerned about your ego than doing the job you're put there to do. Oh. And that's and that's what people don't seem to realize when they, um, yeah, they don't. People don't seem to realize the importance of um, a referee actually handing out yellow cards in situations like that. Because as you said, these players need to be protected. The likes mm-hmm. of Leao, you know, Leao was getting killed out there, dude. At one point, I was pretty sure. That Milan were forcing play down the right hand side, down Pulisic's side, probably because of that reason. Man, Leao was getting butchered and, and, and nothing was happening. It was one foul, two fouls, three fouls, no cards, no cards at mm-hmm. all. Um, yeah, and, and it's the referee's responsibility to, to, to stop this because it's unsportsmanlike behavior, more than speaking back to the referee, you know, or protesting the decision of a referee. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Priorities, Orsato. You're, you're, you're an experienced manager nowadays. 
you know what I mean. I'm trying to not go into this dark, deep hole and ruin your podcast. But right. let's go to the positives. Um, um, Yasin Avli, this game was amazing. It was fantastic. It was so fun to watch. He, he has this cool thing about uh, like calm with the ball. He doesn't get stressed if a player is pressing him. He doesn't get stressed if the passing option isn't there. He's going to keep the ball another two or three seconds to find the correct pass, to find the correct option, and he's going to play it. And in this game, in this game, it worked against Monza. It didn't work, and it, when it doesn't work, it looks horrible. But against Atalanta, it really worked, and it was so pleasing to watch. I really enjoyed it. I was I was worried that it was going to be a downward spiral after that Monza game, to be honest, because that was an abysmal performance. But the way he picked himself up, man, is commendable, and he he did play a very good game. And he's so fun to watch. He's got the whole vintage vibe about him. The way he whips those balls over the top, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't help but say it. No, man, that's 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 Andrea Pirlo, man. That's Pirlo. Yes, that's Pirlo. yes, yes that thing. It's the same exact same thing that Pirlo. He didn't get stressed because a player was pressing him. He kept cool. He kept kept calm. He was waiting for the correct opening to the correct time to play the pass. Adli has that same thing, but uh, there is one. Or the, I have several criticisms, but there is one thing that Pirlo definitely had that Adli doesn't, and it's that Pirlo was aware of every other teammate before he received the ball. I feel that Adli has a little bit of he receives the ball and then he looks around. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, Pirlo was. Um... One of a kind, generational. He was he 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 was the best in that role, you know. When when you think deep lying playmaker, it's Pirlo. Pirlo is the the prototype. He's the the example, no. So of course, yes, Adli is. Um, so it's a long way to go before before he reaches Pirlo's level, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very promising signs for Adli. This is the first season where he's actually playing first team football for Milan regularly. So. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm very impressed. I thought he was going to be forced out. I'm I'm so proud of him, and I'm so happy that he managed to essentially force his way into Pioli's system because that's what he did. <laughs> yes, yes, he forced he did. his way. In. Yeah, yeah. He started out as a ten, right? And exactly. As there was no win for him in Milan as a ten. So yeah, absolutely. Um, we haven't even talked about Leo's goal, by the way, which was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Just. Three minutes yeah. into the game, he's played the ball by Theo Hernandez. He does layout things. He absolutely destroys it. That's sorry to interrupt you. Just, an attack that started with Adli switching play from uh, right to left. Exactly. Very, very important detail there. It's, it's on top of <laughs> um, And Leao just absolutely does his man, takes a slight touch off his knee. He's slightly lucky that it fell right in front of him. But of course, it, it feels like when you see Leao enter his stride, it's like everything is in control. Yeah. And, and then the finish, man. Oof, yeah. Oof. Look, I, I saw it when I saw it on TV watching the game. I thought that the ball was bouncing. So I was a little bit like, ooh, lucky now that the ball was bouncing so he can hit it from the, uh, from, from under on a good angle. Uh, but then I saw the replay and the ball was actually rolling around the glass, grass. It wasn't bouncing anymore. The bounce was already passed. Mm. So it's such a perfect strike. It's, it's insane, and yeah, you can say he was 
lucky in a sense that he was able to move the ball forward with the knee. Uh, but then again, the ball bounced up and he improvised in that split second. Exactly. He improvised and he decided to, I'm going to drag it further with me, with my knee. And boom, what a goal, man. Absolutely incredible goal, honestly. And and how important was that for him? You could see how much it meant to him, man. Um, yeah. The, he, he the signs of celebration. Keep, keep, keep fucking talking. Say your uh, spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you were not bashing him, were you? No, 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 no. Um, well, we, we, we do criticize him sometimes, as in we, we criticize when he doesn't play to his strengths, for example. We criticize when he's attempting long-range shots because, let's be real, he hasn't scored a long-range shot. We, yeah. He has a set of skills, Leo, that, that he's top tier at. When it comes to beating his man in 1v1 situations out wide, when it comes to driving to the byline, when it comes to cutting back, when it comes to cutting inside and shooting, he's top. But yes. you're not going to get the ball, drive, try to cut inside down the middle and have a crack from outside the box. That's not, that's not what you do. You know, that's not what you're known for. That's not, your, yeah. that's not playing to your strengths. That's literally wasting everyone's time. And that's, that's my only criticism for Leo. I don't even mind that he walks because he lures the people around him into a false sense of security. Second time I've mentioned that this podcast. And, um, and then he bursts, you know, he bursts. All that walking, I think, is part of a tactic. It's part of a game plan to get the defenders to walk. And then he has that burst of pace that no one around him seems to have, man. I like it. Look, world's best football player, he tends to walk a lot as well. It doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Walk and scan, baby. <laughs> yeah. Hoop Miner is his penalty. He went down the middle. Manyan dove out of the way. Um, one thing I do want to say about Coop Miners is that he's, as we mentioned, he's one of the genius Atalanta players. And he, this is what I said on the group chat um, after his penalty. How clever is Coop Miners, man? He knew that Manyan, he must have known that Manyan is a goalkeeper under fire at the moment. He's been criticized for not saving penalties. He's been criticized for not even tracking his penalties. Um, so Manian, with all this criticism over him, he has the whole world watching. We know what type of goalkeeper Manian is. We know what type of person, to a certain extent, Manian is. Um, he would want to save that, and he would want to save it extraordinarily. The last thing Manian would want to do is, be, is not dive while a penalty is taken top corner. You know, while he's caught yeah. flat with it in the middle, that's only going to call for more criticism. Coop Miner steps up and he blasts it right down the middle. Obviously, Manian's going to dive out of the way. How clever is that, man? How clever was that penalty? Did it, yeah. Yeah, as you say, he's he's one of those genius Atalanta players. Uh, currently, he's playing this offensive position. His intelligence, I'm sure you could plug him in a lot of positions in the field and he would still be amazing. But yeah, as you say, that that penalty kick, he had it sorted out. He knew what he was going to do before he put the ball down on the penalty mark. It was all calm and cool and controlled, and he didn't look stressed for one second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, imagine a universe, bro, where Jim City scored that back heel attempt, by the way. You know the one on that corner. He bloody that, that would that would have been crazy if that went. And thankfully, thankfully yeah. we're not talking about that. By the way, total disaster. Forgot the goal of the week. Didn't even talk about it. Didn't even address it. Totally forgot the goal of the week, dude. Um, no. Our goal of the week. 
goes to who, who was our goal of the week anyway, right? <laughs> Paulo Dybala. Paulo Dybala, yes, yes, for oh. a fantastic goal. A fantastic curler from miles out. Um, if he's not going to get pissed off now. He might a little bit, but probably not. I mean, he's probably grateful that um, that the episode happened anyway without him. Um, yeah, this would have been a disaster if it weren't for you, Alan. You've heard the episodes that I have to do alone, and they are never fun. Um, it's always like I make a point or I blab on, and then I stop, and it's almost like I'm waiting for someone to react. No one <laughs> yeah. reacts. Then I just have to pick up from where I left off. It's, it's yeah. very difficult. One-man podcasts are totally difficult. I understand. Um, yeah. yeah. One thing I do want to say is that I have been so impressed by Pulisic. So, so, so impressed by Pulisic. He's a leader. He's tidy. He's so tidy in his play. So tidy when it comes to just his first touch, the way he controls the ball. The way he can either cut inside or go towards the byline. I think he's a very, very good football player. And he's finally found some continuity. He's not struggling too much with injuries. And I'm going to touch wood over there. Politics <laughs> so far has been, has been so impressive to me. So impressive. Even when he's not scoring. A very impressive player. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if there are any other takeaways you have from the game, Alan. Uh, besides Pulisic, Pulis, Pulisic, Pulisic, sorry. Um, I have to I'm borrow. sure the, the itch is the official pronunciation, right? And he bastardized it. Um, well, yeah, he said that he himself pronounces it the American way, so I'm trying yeah. to do it, even if it goes all against all my natural instinct. Um, Pulisic, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's great. He's, he's really stepped up, stepped up. And as you say, he's taking this leader role. Um, other notes uh, I've written down about this game uh, is a bit about Atalanta's game plan. Uh, because it was very evident that they didn't want to allow, allow Leao <laughs> any space to run into. So they were defending very, very low. But they also wanted to do the high press at the same time, which resulted in this weird dynamic where um, there was this wide open area in the center of the pitch that both teams kind of left open because Milan also does the same thing, right? They, they press high with their strikers as high as possible. They want to press the defending line and they try to build up from the back with the defender. So you there was left this huge gap in the center of the pitch, uh, which I think worked to Milan's advantage, especially in the first half up until Atalanta got, their, got that panel, penalty. Um, it was, you could see Milan playing the ball to Adli. I think Adli looked better because of that tactic. Played yeah. the ball to Adli. Adli had the space and the time to look around and pick out the pass. Um, but it was a very, um, unique and weird, unorthodox way to play football where both teams had a lot of players in each end of the pitch and the middle was kind of left wide open. Absolutely, and that resulted in Milan having pretty much seventy percent ball possession, with sixty-eight percent to be to be totally accurate. Um, statistically, Milan totally outperformed Atalanta, but Atalanta, as we said, have transitioned into this more pragmatic, street smart, street mm-hmm. smart side, and they can really take. Um, they can get a team like Milan who wants to play possession-based football and be like, "Listen, you can have the ball all you want. We're gonna get 
what we came for, and and we just don't want to lose over here. Um, I'm surprised, to be honest, that Atalanta didn't push for more because I think they might have been able to, man. If, if they exercised their typical play style, I think they could have been able to get more out of the game, but perhaps it would have come at a risk. Um, maybe Gasparini was happy with the point against the Rossoneri. Yeah, I had that feeling that they didn't really... They were maybe happy with the point and they maybe thought like, okay, we're playing Milan away, we're going to play Inter away like three days in between or whatever it was. Yeah, let's just get past this and we're going to get the points against uh, the other teams, which I'm sure they will. So, yeah. Uh, and the game against Inter, just since I mentioned it, you could tell like they, they started off quite good in the 4 nil loss. But once things went sideways, they kind of took their foot off the pedal and said like, fuck it, we'll, we'll yeah. take it the next game. So I think in this Milan game as well, they were a bit of the same attitude. Well, we don't want to lose, but we're not going to risk too much on winning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree with you totally over there. Um, praise must be given to Karniseki, who had a, a solid game, um, unlike his game against Center, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I like the way that he commands his box. He's uh, very protective of the area. He comes out very well. He collects the ball. He commands the area brilliantly. And I think that that really plays out of the hands of a player like Giroud, you know, who who thrives in space and that gap between the, the goalkeeper and himself. That's a space where he attacks and if the goalkeeper is rushing out. It just makes it even harder and harder for mm-hmm. Olivier to, to um, do what he does best. So, yeah, shout out Karnisecki, very good goalkeeper. I've been following you for a while. Well done. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Milan are currently in third on that island where they're quite quite safe in that top four spot, but they can't really push for the league. Pioli said that the league's pretty much done. He said he, he pretty much congratulated Inter, who are on another level this season. Um, and, you know, why not? Yes, we're um, all thinking it, so he might as well say it himself. Um, right now, I, I wonder what Milan's objective is right now this season it surely it's to go all the way in the Europa League I think the Europa League must be a priority right now for Milan yeah there's nothing else so it's it's a no-brainer they have to push all the way there are not many other teams there that are up to their level anything but uh Europa League final from Milan now would be disappointing I think at least uh, yeah I agree with you man the next game we can talk about is Bologna Bologna Verona it's weird that we're talking about it so early on, you know, despite being one hour and 34 minutes in, by the way. But um, Bologna are in fourth place, man, nowadays with 48 points. And they're really cementing that despite their little dip um, a few a few match days ago. They had a, a slight dip where they weren't quite as... Um, Microscopic. Pardon? Microscopic dip, sorry to interrupt. Exactly. A micro- no, absolutely. It, it was a microscopic dip. Um, and I thought, to be honest, it would it would spiral out of hand. But they, they've bounced back um, very quickly. And they've won their past five games um, in a row, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and this game saw Giovanni Fabian's fourth goal of the ca- campaign. He converted a volley from Orsolini's setup. Um, the match was actually disrupted um, when Rosario Abisso, the referee, was replaced by Giacomo Campione. After three minutes, he pulled up injured. The referee was injured three minutes into the game. That's um, quite uncommon, and um, you know I can't help but find that a little bit amusing. 
<laughs> yes, it is, um, right? Yeah, it's 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 so funny. I don't know why. Like it's he, some he can't get injured. He's just like the others running out there exerting himself. Yeah. But it's always so funny when a referee gets injured. Um, Remo Proiler scored the second goal um, by volleying high into the net from Fabian's cross. So Fabian went from goal scorer to goal provider. Um, and this was actually Froiler's first goal in Serie A since returning after departing from Atalanta. And his first oh, goal for yeah. Bologna. Yeah, so so good to see him back on the score sheet, despite that not really being his his um, game at all. But yeah, Bologna continue to prove that they are a side not to be taken um, lightly because this Verona team have given the likes of Juventus problems recently. Um, yeah, I actually just now realized that when I was talking about Napoli earlier, I said that they drew Verona. Obviously, I meant that, that Napoli drew Cagliari. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, no, Bologna to- totally dominated this game. Uh, we saw the Bologna that we've seen all this season, and I don't know what to say about them anymore. They, they just play really good football, and you can see now. Um, as you said, more avenues for scoring goals. More players are scoring goals. It's not just a Xerxes show. Uh, hats off to Thiago Motta, coach of the season, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, coach of the season, of course, of you. Um, I think that reward might have to go to um, Inzaghi, just by the way, how, how dominant Inter have been. But... Um, but yeah, man, Motta's definitely done God's work with this Bologna side. And when you look at the quality of the team in comparison to where they stand in the table, it's mm-hmm. definitely Motta who's who's overachieving over here. Yes. Um, the most exciting manager in the league. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, they are they are ticking on all fronts. Um, Zergzi has been a revelation, but so have the players around him. And um, Fabian, his goal-scoring prowess and his instinct always impress me. Um, mm. I'm always surprised by how this guy manages to insert himself and to put himself at the end of these um, chances. With, with the, he looks so young as well, you know. It's just so crazy seeing him being so productive and um, with that baby face, you know. <laughs> yeah. But look, yeah, they play, yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me. I look through this match. I look through the stats. I look through the um, in preparation for this. I, I saw the match like on my phone on Friday because live. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw like 10 minutes there. I was interrupted 10 minutes there. Um, but looking to, through the highlights and looking through the stats, Verona had absolutely nothing to show for him. There was one mistake by Skorupski that they almost, and there was this one random counter attack. Otherwise, yeah. it was just Bologna all the way. That that Skorupski mistake was actually um, pretty well handled by Suslov, who went for a first-time chip and managed to get it off tar- um, on target. Sorry, and it was cleared off the line. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty impressive by by Suslov. Had that gone in, I think that might have been the goal of the week. And another player who has risen uh, this Bologna side. Yeah, um, for for Verona, really. Uh, you mean? Uh, ah, Suslov. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think Suslov has been the main guy for, for Hellas Veron, actually. He's been the constant all season. Um, if you look at, okay, Juric started the season very well, but he fucked off halfway through. <laughs> he got out of that train wreck of a team. Um, Never bonfire sale there, man. 
it's 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 pretty catastrophic what's going on at Hellas Verona. And when it comes to the teams that I want relegated, man, I look at the likes of Salernitana. I don't want Salernitana gone, man. I think that Salernitana have an, actually a pretty interesting project with a nice sporting director. Granted, the sporting director wasn't there from the get-go. Um, I like the fans. I like the club. I like what they are. I don't want to see them going. Then you have the likes of Hellas Verona and Udinese who have just been fucking free-falling or season after season, they just get worse and worse and worse. Kind of like what Genoa were doing up until their relegation and their re- revitalization. But um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's a shame that Udinese will probably survive, and it's and let's hope that Verona get the punishment they deserve so that they can start from scratch and create a new blank slate. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, for Salernitana, just the fans want me to have them up there. That alone, everything else I don't care that much about. Uh, we haven't come to this Salernitana game, so I'm going to try to keep it short, but the other fans are amazing. Fair enough, fair enough, yes. Um, Bologna, with their impressive victory, have cemented their position in fourth spot with 48 points, while Hellas Verona are in 17th, 17th temporarily out of the relegation pool, tied on points with Sassuolo with 20 points um yes bro um skorupski when it comes to skorupski by the way this is a point i wanted to make that um that i i I totally forgot um he is a great goalkeeper quite error prone at times he does have mistakes in him and i think that's what's really stopping him from taking the next step but i would love to see him play in europe i i think that skorupski is a player who's who very much deserves it. I mean, it was only last season that Matthew hailed him as the best goalkeeper in the league. We mocked him, we laughed at him. Um, but he might have had he might have been onto something, you know, because when it comes to shot stopping, when it comes to full stretch saves and, and this clutch, impressive acrobatic saves, he's probably one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's he's doing the job well, uh, no doubt. Um can, can I touch upon the Juric comment about Xerxes? Yes, please, please. Yes, he compared him to Zlatan, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> what do you make of that trick? So when someone's compared to Zlatan, I often think to myself, okay, why would someone be compared to Zlatan? If a player is compared to Zlatan, what do I expect from the player? So first of all, I expect size. I expect physical superiority. I expect this player to be able to out-muscle his defender pretty much quite easily, right? A, a titan of a striker. Um, I also expect, I would expect this player to have fantastic technique, like next level, close ball control, able to turn, able to shoot, able to make something out of nothing. That was Zlatan. And let's not forget Zlatan. Some of the younger fans might not know how mobile Zlatan was when he was younger. He was incredible when it comes to his movement, man. He was... Like, imagine Zergzi, but times 100, you know? Mm-hmm. And not to mention the lethality, man. Zlatan was, and until the end, was a killer. You can't give him a second because like, he would punish you for it. Yeah. Zergzi, I understand the comparisons that have been drawn um, to Zlatan because he's tall, <laughs> he's quite strong. He's got good technique, very good technique. And to be honest, it's the technique that's closest to Zlatan than anything else. Because when it yes. comes to physical superiority, he's got a long way to go, I think. And when it comes to being clinical as a striker, 
he still has a lot to prove personally. That's my opinion. Yes, I, I do agree with you. I think it's a stretch to say the least to compare him to Zlatan. Uh, in Juric's defense, he said that um, he didn't say that, like, he said that in certain movements he was similar to Zlatan. But yeah, come on, bro. They are such different players. Um, and once I, because I wrote that this down as a Patreon question to you, uh, mm. and I googled just to like to ask myself like how was Latan at age twenty two, mm. and I googled like Latan in Ajax. He was there for a few seasons, and. Zlatan at that time, he already had that killer instinct. He was gonna kill everybody that stood in his way. He had, he was a mentality monster from day one. And that's not something you can teach or adapt during your career. Either you have it or you don't, right? Yeah. Zlatan had it, has it. I would say that Xerxes doesn't. Xerxes is a great player by all means, but he doesn't, he, the mentality of Zlatan is such a big part of his game. The will to kill. <laughs> that actually rhymes. was not intentional. <laughs> Zlatan has the will to kill. Xerxes is an elegant player. He does move the ball around in a similar sense. Uh, he drags it with his foot. He doesn't kick it. He drags it with him. He's tall, so I get that part. But otherwise, it's there's no really... Very different players, I would say. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. Um, Zlatan had the, the upbringing, man, of a mentality monster. Yes. Zlatan had, had a tough life, man, from the get-go. He was a minority. He was, he was racially profiled wherever he's been. He grew up in poverty. Not poverty, not, not poverty per se, but um, his father was working class and had to try to provide for him. Um, and and yeah, I mean, he he openly admits that he used to steal bicycles and things like things that modern day footballers that came up through a system would not really understand. I think I think that these life lessons can play a big part on the pitch, and that's why, for example, South American football players will always have this edge when they have the talent. If, if you have an equally talented European player and an equally talented South American player who grew up, you know. In, in the streets in the favelas in Brazil, they're gonna have that edge, man. They're gonna have they, they, they just know more about life, man. That's it. Yeah, they, they have more about it. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, man. Um Bologna in fourth with 48 points, while Hellas Verona are down in 17th with 20 points. And that takes us to Roma against Torino. And this was a shootout which ended with the score of 3-2. It was Dybala who opened the scoring with a penalty before Duvan Zapata scored an expert header um, after being set up by the ever-impressive Raul Bellanova. Um, the second half started in the 57th minute. Dybala got the second goal, which was absolutely outrageous as a strike. Outrageous goal, and that's our goal of the week. And Brian Cristante got the assist over there, but I'm sure he didn't expect that to happen. Um, in the 69th minute, um, Dybala, after some brilliant hold-up play from Lukaku, Lukaku had some amazing centre-forward play over there, um, holding the ball up and playing him in behind. And then Dybala had the tightest angle to finish from, and he still managed to squeeze it into the back of the net to complete the hat-trick. 
um, Huisen would go on to score an own goal after coming on um, in the 89th minute, but that would be all for Torino, and Roma would get all three points. Bro, De Rossi's Roma. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, look, that's three, the third goal from the ball is the one that, uh, of course, the second goal is the most beautiful one, without a doubt, goal of the week. Yeah. But from a manager point of view, that third goal was fantastic. You have two players who single-handedly pass through four defenders like it was nothing. It's a simple uh, play and go, a uh, play and run, or how do you say it in English? I'm Give and sure. go. Give and go, right? Yeah. And the entire defense was open. Torino defense was open. Dybala has the quality to put it from that angle. Vanya Milinkovic-Savic is no joke. He's a good, really good goalkeeper. But then Dybala just have that, has that snap that's wild. Um, he made him look yeah. a bit shit. And we know he's not shit, but he he made him look a little bit shit the way he, he just kept putting it past him. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say it wasn't his best day. I think that uh, a player, a goalkeeper of Vanya's reach should have maybe gotten quicker to the post on the second goal. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to take anything away from Dybala, but I think that he should have been able to reach it slightly faster. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with you. Um, however, man, the weight on the shot. Is oh, yeah. It, it bounced at the back it. of the net, you know. Yeah. It kicks through it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. absolutely. Um, yeah, um, safe to say Torino are missing Bongiorno once again, yes. <laughs> um, they had Mazzina, Lovato and Gigi at the back who, um, okay, they're... they're Deployable, not quite, not quite Bongiorno though. Let's be real. Bongiorno, I think the season has been a revelation for Torino. I, I would expect that he's the next defender to be snapped up in a similar way to Brem, the way Bremer was was snapped up by Juventus. He's but been he, linked to everybody and everything. So yeah. Raul Bellanova, bro. When it comes to this Torino side, for me, Duvan Zapata, first of all, has has this new lease of life that. Um, I, I thought the guy was kind of finished with the way he was playing at Atalanta. I must admit, I, I thought that he didn't have much left in him and I thought that he wouldn't be as prolific as he once was. Yeah, same. However, however, this season at, at Torino, he's showing that he can still score a, a good handful of goals, you know. And Raul Bellanova, bro, just playing well, man. Just playing yeah. really, really well and consistently and being a threat and making being a menace, you know. And he just seems to be fitter, man. Than, than his opponent every time yes. he can he can track back he, and and being fitter offers you more freedom to attack and and to stretch the opponent because you can track back in time and I, and I think that's what um Belanova is really taking advantage of right now is, is his fitness quite frankly his ability to really stretch the game and then recover and and he's been super but he's Yes, fitness, obviously, and, but secondary, I would say that he has the confidence as well. He, especially, you can see it in the goal. He's, uh, he's starting to run, defender catches up to him, he has to track back, he decides, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go around him anyway. He has the confidence to do the things that many other defenders or fullbacks would not dare to do. He lifts it up. Uh, can I ask you, I'm under the pressure, depression that the impression, yeah, the beer is starting to get to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here with the wine. Yeah. I'm under the impression that Zapata has gotten fitter. 
when yeah. when I saw him jumping up there, like that man looks like a beast. He didn't look like yeah. that with Atalanta. I felt not towards the end. That's for sure. He was looking more kind of like Luis Muriel towards the end of his mm -hmm. uh, his stay. Perhaps it's um, yeah. Sometimes you need a new environment. Sometimes you need to work for a new man. I mean, imagine, you know, this guy went to a new team. The coach came up to me. He's a respected coach. He told me, you are the centerpiece of my team. The team is going to play to serve you. You just need to get in shape and you need to make yourself available and be as ready as possible for for all the service that you can possibly imagine because this team will work for you. You know, mm -hmm. will have the likes of Richie. You'll have the likes of Bellanova, you'll have the likes of Vlasic and Sanabra, everyone trying to serve you up a plate. And that must have motivated them much more than playing 30 minutes every week under Gasparini. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. No, he is looking very good. And but Bellanova also is I I feel like Bellanova is involved in every attack that Torino has. Everything it's I'm not gonna say that everything goes through him, but in one way or another, he's practically always involved in their attacking play as a fullback. Um, Absolutely. I feel like every week we're, we're praising him. <laughs> precisely. Um, can I ask you, I have Please. one question. Inter had the possibility to sign Bellanova. Do you think it was a mistake? Yes. That's yes, yes. For, for yeah. sure it was a mistake, I think. I think now they're looking to offload Dumfries. They've brought in, I, I keep for Buchanan, 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 yeah, Buchanan. I don't know how to pronounce it. Something like that. Um, and I'm he's only featured. Buchanan, like in the Baywatch. That's, <laughs> that's how I think the commentators are saying it. Buchanan. Buchanan, Buchanan. Buchanan. Yeah. Um, yes, I think it was Canadian? a mistake. Pardon? Is he Canadian? I believe he's Canadian, yes, uh, I believe so. Uh, um, yes, I think it was a mistake. I, I think when you look at the options they have, they have Dumfries, who they're willing to let go of. It's pretty well known that if an offer comes in for Dumfries, I think Inter would let him know, let him go. And then they have Darmian, who in the event of an emergency would have to play as one of the centre-backs. So mm -hmm. I think that um, Raul Bellanova could have been a good fit for the centre team. Like, can you imagine DiMarco on the left, Bellanova on the right, with this Bellanova? yeah. I, and I'm for sure he would be even better in Inter, obviously. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember him when he was still a Milan player. I don't know if you heard the last episode, bro. I, I was I was talking about how when he was like 16 or 17 years old, he would post videos of his assists on Instagram. They, they could go such a long way, right? These players. Brother, I've heard every episode of yours. <laughs> the man, you're the man. Yeah, Matt and I had prepared. So, so for those of you who don't know who are listening right now, Alan actually visited Malta, and we watched a little bit of football with them over at our place. Uh, Matt and I were living together at the time. Um, we were, we had a question prepared for you, bro. Oh, did we didn't you? ask you though. Yes, <laughs> who do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no. You, do, you don't ask a mother which child she loves the most. <laughs> Yeah, no. I so. no, I'm never gonna answer that. Yeah. Do you have uh, any favorite moments? Any funny moments? Any favorite like highlights in your head that I play mentally? Um look, yeah, I have those there are there are moments where because you are brothers, you have yeah. this chemistry and you have this inside 
uh, inside jokes that, in a sense, transcend very well to the listeners. Um, I don't. I don't think I have a favorite moment, but there are like random moments. I remember when Mats was talking about Pongracic. Oh yeah, he's a horse. Yeah, <laughs> out of the blue, and it's not the comment in itself, but probably your both of you were just rolling on the floor laughing and I was just imagining like what the fuck is going on over there and I did not catch the reference that Matt was yeah. I have not seen the TikTok the, the, the funny thing is I hadn't seen the TikTok either mm-hmm. I hadn't seen, he, he had to pause and show it to me, he was like he's a horse, he's a horse and I was like what the hell is he saying and then he showed me, he's like what's the horse doing over there it's <laughs> really I, I don't think I have a favorite moment, but definitely when it's like those moments when you when you get the feeling or when you see how well you two know each other, that transcend that you are able to transmit well through the throughout the podcast. That's like um, it's genuine, it's real. It's not some people pretending to know shit or like pretending that the other one is funny. That's something I often hear in other podcasts. I'm not gonna, but uh, this fake laughter or like you never have that. You're real. You're you, and that's those are the moments that I enjoy the most. Thank you, bro. Thank you. That's that's lovely to hear. Yes, um, having a brother is a blessing and a curse at the same time. You know, <laughs> um, he knows everything, which naturally is too much. But but yeah, um, Roma, bro. On the other hand, we can we can talk a little bit about them. I personally was not aware of Azmoon's game. I don't know about you, but this game, I was so impressed by him. Um, yes, he was very good. I was not aware aware of his game either. Um, and I'm not gonna say that Lukaku needs to look behind his back because he doesn't. But he's also not irreplaceable. If Lukaku gets in- injured, Roma are not going to be in big trouble. I believe. Yeah, yeah, because he's the he's a good link up link up um, striker as well. Similarly to Lukaku, he services his teammates very well. Yeah, he has good interest industry. He's strong. Um, he keeps the ball. Yeah, he's he's gonna make. I think. Based on this game against Torino, I think he is the type of guy who will make the others around him appear better than they are. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, um, I had no idea he he could drive yeah. like that with the ball personally as well. Every time he got the ball and he started driving with it, I was like, well, he's actually pretty good. This guy, this Arsenal <laughs> guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for for Roma, everything's ticking. I'm very happy to see Zvilar in goal, who had another good game over here. Um, a much better goalkeeper all round at the moment than Rui Patricio, and I'm going to straight up say that, because Rui Patricio, man, I often find myself wondering, is he at this level? You know, is he at the level? Like, this isn't the same Rui Patricio that was at Wolves. Definitely not. Definitely not. Chesco no. um, praises. Rui Patricio, he says that I'm a little bit too harsh, just mm-hmm. being the Roma fan, our, our patron. Um, but but yeah, um, I, I am enjoying what Zvilar has been doing. Yeah, I, look, Chesco knows Roma better than I do. 
Fair enough. We, yeah. yeah. Uh, but for me, it's obvious that Svilar appears a lot more stable, consistent. I will say that on the first Zapata goal, I think that Svilar took his time to get over across yeah. the goal. Because it was a weird looping one, no? It was kind of, uh, um, it appeared savable, but I don't think he expected it personally. Yeah, I think he miscalculated it. I think he yeah. was expecting it. He didn't know if he was going to jump far or he was going to run over and it turned out to be a thing in between. Uh, but look, everybody can make a mistake or a miscalculation as part of the game. Yeah, um, and, and that header by, by Zapata was perfectly placed as well. It was a like kissing the post. Yes. So that's, yeah, it's totally excusable. Uh, but yes, I do agree with you. I think Spielberg is the future for Roma right now, the way to go. And of course, they will have to evaluate in the summer if they're going to stick to Spielberg or look for other options. But when it comes to Spielberg versus Patricio, bye. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, and with this victory, Roma have charged all the way up to sixth with 44 points. They are in contention for that Champions League spot. Actually, they're just four points behind nowadays. Um, they're really flying up the table, man. It just goes to show, right? With a good run of form, um, you can really, really, really rush up that table, man. Yes. Um, on, absolutely. On the other hand, Torino are perfectly mid-table. Just Anytime you would say, guess where Torino are in the table. If you guess 10th, you're probably correct because they sit in 10th right now with 36 points. Um, perfectly mid-table and I guess that's where they're happy to be. That's where Cairo um, would ideally like to be, right? <laughs> that's where they belong. Um, look, we, I, I want to make a point at Torino because I know you and Matt have been joking a lot and it's super funny. <laughs> when they're going, missionary? Yes. <laughs> they are the missionary team. <laughs> But look, um, they are as high as they can expect to be. I, I think Juric all in all is doing a good job with them. Uh, what more can you expect from Torino? Are they going to be better than... Okay, Bologna is overperforming. Strike Bologna, look at all the, all the other teams in front of them. Are they going to be better than Fiorentino? No. Are they, will, will they be better than Atalanta? No, they don't have the talent to compete with that. I think... Okay, Torino are boring, but they are solid. They're doing the work. They're doing the job. Maybe they're built, they are waiting for the right time to strike gold with a player or two, but I, I, cannot, see, uh, I cannot see them doing any better. They are getting what they are expected to get, and they are not losing the points they are not expected to lose. Absolutely, man. Um, Juric is doing God's work and um, granted things maybe have gone stale at, at Torino, but it's, it's not Juric's fault. It, it's it's the, the lack of quality, to be honest with you. I mean, the starting 11 is okay. And, and that's, already, that's already being a little bit lenient, saying the starting yes. 11 is okay. Because there are a few question marks over there. Um, but, but the squad could improve a lot more. And, and I mean, Cairo, to be honest, should take that extra step and invest a little bit more if, if he's capable of doing it to really push for those European places. Because Torino are there. They're there with, with the manager they have and the way they've been playing. They, they can totally do it. Um, interestingly enough, by the way, they're so, they're so missionary, Alan. Guess their goal difference. <laughs> 
uh, goal difference, uh, it has to be quite equal. When you, when you say it like that, it's probably like 22-22. Dude, <laughs> their goal difference is zero. They've scored 25 and they've conceded 25. Uh-huh, yeah. So I was three goals away. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally, totally missionary. Now, um, yeah, um, I've said where they are in the table. We can move on now to Cagliari, Napoli. This, in my opinion, was Napoli failing at their own hands. This, this, this draw was all Napoli's fault because I feel like towards the end of the game they could have killed it. But the individuals went for glory instead of playing their teammates and who were in a better position. And this happened twice. Simeone being on the receiving end of it, as I alluded to earlier on, while um, he attempted, well, he could have set up the second one, but he went for glory himself, um, proving to be a little bit of a hypocrite. Um, Ozyman started up front. Raspadori was on the right with Gvaratskelia on the left. It was business as usual, pretty much with Matsokia's right back, Rahmani, Juan Jesus, and Oliveira at the back. Everything else was pretty much orthodox. For Cagliari, um, Zito Lovumbo started this game um, mm-hmm. out on the left in a 4-4-1-1 formation, one of Ranieri's most infamous formations. Uh, just two two blocks of four, right? Two rows of four. Very difficult to to penetrate. It was Yerimina and Dossena as the formidable centre-back partnership with Nandes and Argello on the flanks. Yankto was on the right, Lovumbo was on the left. My least favorite player in the world, Deola, was in midfield with Gaetano playing behind La Padula. Yes, bro. Um, I thought Napoli should have won this. They should have totally won this. Yes. Um, but they didn't, right? And they didn't. I, think, I think they need to thank themselves for it. It was there to win and they didn't take the chance. One thing that I did find a bit funny was looking at this lineup. You had uh, Raspadori on the, on the le- right wing, not on the mm-hmm. left, which is not his natural position, right? Yeah. Yet again, he was among the best players for Napoli, which makes me say, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Seize yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, but definitely Napoli could have done better in this game. He was, yeah, Raspadori was was magnificent this game. I think it's one of his best games this season, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, great. Towards the end of the game, okay, so of course um, the first goal came, so the first goal came in the 32nd minute, actually. It was a disallowed goal. Um, Rahmani got into the back of the net, but it was disallowed due to him being in an offside position. Um, in the 66th minute, and then it was Victor Oziman who was set up by the impressive Raspadori, um, who gave Napoli the lead. Um, they went on to miss uh, all their chances, basically. And then in the 96th minute, Dosena just hail marries it over the top, <laughs> boots it over the top. He's like, I've got Luvumbo Zito charging at them. Let me just try to play him in behind. It wasn't even playing him in behind because it was a 50-50 in the end. Between Lovumbo and Juan Jesus. Yeah. Pardon? He just spoofed it. He, yeah. He, he didn't really think much else, right? Yeah. Um, and Lovumbo found himself in a 50-50 with um, Juan Jesus, who did what every coach has instructed me not to do with my very amateur brief spell at Melita FC in Malta. Um, <laughs> don't let the ball bounce, man. When you have a physical advantage 
over your opponent. Don't let the ball bounce. Juan Jesus let the ball bounce. Lovumbo acrobatically, and you know how tenacious he is. He just spun with those massive thighs and his high shorts. He just turned his man and put it in the back of the net, um, punishing um, Napoli. And the scenes, of course, you can imagine in Sardinia were absolutely phenomenal. Um, at first, it looked like he got injured. Mm. I don't know if he was faking it. I don't know if it was one of those trends. What do you think? The TikTok thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. I was going to say, fortunately, not fortunately, I don't want him to be injured, but I'm glad it wasn't one of those TikTok trends. Yeah. I think he was actually injured. <laughs> I think was, so too. But did you see they all not giving a fuck about his injury? Yeah, you no know, one cared. You know, like, your teammate is in pain and you're just grabbing him from the behind. It's like, be happy, bitch, be happy. <laughs> it's, no, that's it's uncool. Fact, one of his teammates became self-aware and and they they actually tried to get the teammates off him but they they, they just kept appearing out of nowhere and jumping onto him um and it's not nice having the likes of dos senna and yerimina jumping on you if you're the size of levumbo zito right that's a lot yeah. of kilos right yeah 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 and then um after everyone had jumped on him when the fans were calling his name he did this funny little celebration where he just kind of Taunted the the Napoli fans as Tanga. I love it. I love it. I'm a big fan of Lovumbozito, bro. Um, I think that he's destined for a step up. Right, especially if Calgary Calgary get um, relegated, he has to move on. Um, yeah. The question is probably where. Uh, I don't see him in the upper half of the table yet, but he has to be. Uh, where should we put him? Monza is probably not his level. Uh, can it be maybe Monza? Yeah, maybe I was going to say Monza isn't too far off, I think. Yeah. I think he could do a good job over there. Um, when it comes to, yes, so so Alan and I spoke a little bit um, about Lovumbozito off air because I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um the main question that you had is why doesn't he play 90 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's that's a that's a phenomenal question. Um we have discussed on the podcast perhaps it's Ranieri's overthinkering. Maybe he tries to save Lovumba for an extra gear while also protecting him because we've seen how players play against the likes of Lovumba and the likes of Banda and Leao as well. They just kick the yeah. shit out of him. So maybe he's protecting him. Maybe he's protecting the best player that could that could save them from relegation. Um, or perhaps it's something deeper. Perhaps it's a fitness issue. Perhaps it's a work ethic issue, which would be very concerning. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know the reality behind it. But if Cyril Ngonj can get a move to Napoli, then I don't think Lovumbozito can't get a move to Monza, you know? I don't know. Yeah, true. Look, if this... If this Ranieri protecting him thing was for one or two or three or even four games, I might buy it. But when you are on a full season and you're in relegation, uh, in a relegation spot, you're second last in the league, and you're not playing who is presumably your best player, I don't think it's a tactical choice anymore. There, there's something more to it. I think there is a matter of discipline or fitness or maybe understanding of tactics, who knows God what. I don't think it's about protecting him anymore because if 
if protecting like if protecting him isn't working anymore, you need to do something. Like, okay, I have this card on my hand, but I choose not to play it. My team is going to get relegated, but I, I'm still not going to play this card because I have this theory about protecting him. You're about to get relegated, you play your best cards. And this is where I'm starting to question what is going on with Zito Lovumbo. Because there is something there that we, the spectators, are not able to see. Why is he not playing? That's a yeah, very good point. Um, when you're 19th, you need your best man out there, mm-hmm. and Lovumbozito is by far their best man. He's he's everything, man. And and quite often we find Lovumbozito being introduced to certain games when when they're pretty much over, they're done. You know, the game <laughs> they're two nil down, they're three nil down. What's he gonna do? And then sometimes he manages to ignite these miraculous comebacks, and. Let's not get it twisted. These comebacks, if you, if you watch, for example, the game against Frosinone where they came back from 3-0 down, it was all Zito. It was all him. It was all Lumba, bro, coming on, shopping in on the right, on the left. No matter where the ball is coming from, it's him on the end of it. But yeah, um, I'm curious to see how his um, career develops. I'm a big fan of his and I do hope that he... Um, I, my ideal is that Cagliari survive and he stays there and he develops there. That's, that's the best case scenario, I think. Yeah, well, both, both you and me both guessed Kaleri to survive. So, <laughs> we'll see. I've got this scarf right there. Um, Matt and I are actually thinking of um, going up to, to Sardinia, man, before the end of the season and oh, watching a Kaleri game. I think that would be maybe the Lecce one. Um, Kaleri Lecce, end of March. I think that would be an incredible game, unless we go on it's a nil-nil. Apparently, they have a really good atmosphere. Uh, like, that's not very visible on TV. I don't know, but that's what I heard. Yeah, they post some behind the scenes on social media. Like they have a, they've got their Instagram admin on the pitch, and he takes videos. Mm-hmm. And like they've got these incredible angles of the goals when the players are basically running towards the cameraman, and he films the fans, and it's it's spectacular, man. The, the atmosphere looks amazing in Sardinia, really. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the standings, Cagliari or in 19th with 20 points, while Napoli um, are in 9th with 40 points. Um, they'll be hitting themselves for not closing this one out, especially after demolishing Sassuolo, um, six goals to one. The next game we can cover um, is Fiorentina 2, Lazio 1. This was a massive game that happened on a Monday night. It was a little bit of a treat, to be honest. And I think to summarize this game, you can basically say that Fiorentina came out and they attacked, and they attacked, and they attacked, and they missed, and they missed, and they missed. They hit the post four times, I think, four or five mm-hmm. times, something like that. Three times in first half. Yeah, so unlucky, so unlucky to not score. They even missed the penalty. You had um, Nico Gonzalez in the second half doing his little jump. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot left, as he always does, and um, he hit the post. Yeah. Uh, no, look, I wrote it down in my notes because I had to check it up after the game. Uh he has taken five penalties this year, uh, three goals, two misses, and all five have been more or less identical, except for the, the only one that stood out was really the last one because it hit, it was more wide to the left than the previous four. Uh, it hit the post. Usually it's like one or two, one and a half meter uh, within the post. Uh, the goalkeeper was 
wrong-footed. He would not have said it if it went inside the goal. Uh, but it's really, um, it's really surprising that a player can take five identical pen penalties in the same season. That's if, if I, as a spectator, can see it on TV, then imagine what the goalkeepers who actually study and take notes. It's yeah. Then, I, then, then I wonder, Alan. Um, could it be that the technique is so misleading that you never actually think? But when you're in it and you're the goalkeeper, could it be that you actually have no idea where he's gonna go, or maybe he really hints that you're gonna go to one side? Because mm. it is, it is bizarre. He always shoots bottom left, always, no matter what. The season he's always gone, and I think Summer is the only one who saved it. Yes, Summer yeah. read him like an open book, but Summer had done his homework. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, look, I. I think it's, um, yeah, he, the, the technique uh, can explain a lot of it. But, okay, you fool me once, fool me twice, the third time, bro, I know what you're doing. If I was a goalkeeper and, and uh, Nico is stepping up to take a penalty, I'm going to die left regardless. I'm going to die left before he strikes the ball. I'm going to be on the left or exactly. my right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. These th this run up, man. Now, if I was the coach, not for me. Huh? You're not taking another penalty. I'm sorry. I, mm. I can't do it. I can't do it. It gives me anxiety watching it, and especially when when he missed, you could see he was so embarrassed. Of course, he's gonna be embarrassed. That run up is the cockiest, most obnoxious run up I've ever seen. And and it's true when it works. You know, he's such a confident guy. And when he gets the run-up, fucking, you know, when he runs up, there, there was one game he scored the penalty. I think he was laughing before the referee even blew the whistle. He was laughing. The referee blew the whistle. He runs up, skips, scores, run, wheels off in celebration. But it just, it's just not for me, man. If you put power behind the penalty, you're more likely to score. And I'm all for that, man. I, I watched Mario Balotelli taking penalties for Milan growing up. And I watched him never miss a single one except for one game against Sudanese. And what was the common factor about these penalties, man? He all They were all different. Every single penalty was different. Mm -hmm. And he would smack some in. He would, like, like, you know, three penalties, hoof them into the roof of the net. And then the next one, pass at bottom corner. You know, keep the, keep the goalkeeper guessing. That's it. The goalkeepers are going to study. This is their fucking job, for God's sake. Yes. I do my research for a podcast. These guys are making millions to do this job, you know? research they're doing they, they have people hired to do this research for them they don't even do it themselves they can get yeah. the shit paper and it's like Here, here's a how do you say um usb stick with all the penalties Fiorentina has taken the past preseason there you go that's how you have it. i think it's inexcusable and um i will say this about since you mentioned balotelli all his penalties were different but the common factor is that he always waited the goalkeeper out and he shot where it was open. The difference with, they, they both do a kind of skip or Balotelli kind of starts faster and then slows down. Mm, he slows uh, down a bit towards the end, a little bit. Yeah, very similar to Neon, who I'm sure we're going to get onto later. <laughs> um, while Gonzalez, he does this skipping thing like Jorginho, but he shoots at the same angle every time so if if you do the skipping thing and proceed to shoot at a different angle where the goalkeeper is not going or like where it's open okay 
I can get it. But if you do the skipping thing and you shoot at the exact same angle every time, you're just being repetitive and easy to read. I agree totally, bro. Um, yeah, but this penalty came in the second half, of course, and it was towards the end of the first half in the 45th minute that against the run of play, Luis Alberto scored a goal after Guendouzi passed him the ball, setting him up in a, in a space kind of like between the midfield and the defence. Um, there's quite a hole, quite a pocket over there, and Luis Alberto was intelligent enough to take advantage of it and end his dry spell, to be honest. He's been under quite a bit of criticism lately. Um, in the 61st minute, of course, in the second half, Fiorentina did not give up. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and a ball came into Coyote, who smacked it um, upwards, and um, it looked like it was going to hit the crossbar, to be honest. <laughs> it did it did, yeah, on its way to the roof of the net, right? Um, and that was a well-taken goal, and he really enjoyed it, Kayoda. And you can see the passion in his celebration. It's always nice to see a, a young player scoring a goal on a stage like this. How cool isn't it when he runs to the fan and just, like, screams in his face? I don't know what they're saying, but I imagine it's like, did you see that? Did, yeah. you, see, did you feel it? And the fan goes like, fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! And then they hug each other. Ah, oh, it was a really cool moment. It <laughs> was. You can feel it. You could feel yes. the energy coming off of Coyote yes. through your screen. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I get pumped myself, like watching that. And it's like, oh, I want to hug them as well, you know? It's, same, yeah, same yeah. here, man. Absolutely. I, I love this stuff, man. I, I, I'm not for the, I'm not all for the refined celebrations, you know, the, the ball, I can score a hat trick and then just hit you with a, I want to see, Pure human emotion pouring out of you, man. That's what I want to see. I want to see you lose your cool. Do you remember Locatelli's goal against Sassuolo? Uh, Milan. His goal against Juventus. His goal. It was a match day before. He scored against Sassuolo, yeah. his first ever goal in Serie A. And he is literally that, was a winner and an equalizer in a high-scoring game. And he ran... He cried, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's him running and crying, couldn't believe it. Or... or or Grosso's goal in the World Cup, man. Th yeah. Those celebrations, the pure emotion. That's that's what I live for, man. That's that's why I watch football, to be honest with you. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. On, on Coyote's goal, though, I just want to point out that he was the one who started the attack. He broke down the ball. He played it and he kept running and he kept running. And in the end, he found himself at the back post unmarked and he bur buried it. So hats off yeah. to him. That was a really cool moment. Well deserved. every young defender has to dream about. Yeah, for sure. Um, totally well-deserved, especially when winning it back. Of course, shortly after this, just six minutes later, Nico Gonzalez missed the penalty. And then two minutes after that, um, Bonaventura um, scored a rebound after, I believe, Beltran. His shot yes. was saved by the goalkeeper. And then Be um, Bonaventura basically finished perfectly. And he had hit the post in the first half. He was quite unlucky to not score earlier on. But it's nice to see... Um, Jack de Quarry doing well. Yes, I, as a Milan fan, every, every Milan fan loves him or likes him. And if you dislike him, then you're not a Milan fan. <laughs> I'm just yeah. gonna be that blunt. Um, <laughs> but he, Bonaventura, found himself in a scoring position at least three times this game, I believe. Uh, he has this thing at least against Lazio now, he, where he comes in after somebody shoots, he comes in on a rebound. He had one big one in the first half. I can't oh, remember. Chastale cleared it off the line. Uh, not uh -huh. off the line, he blocked it. Yeah. 
Yeah, he blocked it. Uh, Povedel was taken out of the game. He only need to bury it, but he chose to go with the open wide foot. Uh, it was saved. But yeah, he he has a tendency to find himself in these positions where uh, normally a striker would be. But so this is part of Fiorentina's game, I think, where they Beltran drops, um, Belotti runs around the box, and then you leave these spaces that Bonaventura can run into and catch the rebound on those situations. And yeah, it was nice to nice to see he got it. He's been on a bit of a dry spell, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while for him. Um, he, I don't know if you feel the same way about Bonaventura, but when I really think about his days at Milan, he's, I, I can't quite place if he's, if he's, <laughs> it's going to sound harsh, but if he's an intelligent footballer or not, you know what I mean? Like, spatial awareness-wise, he's very good. He knows where he should be off the ball. But then on the ball, sometimes I feel like he often makes the the wrong decision, especially if it's not his day. Um, and and I, I remember this with Milan clearly when Milan were having an off day. He was just always like he, there was something he wouldn't see. You know what I mean? I don't know if you remember the same thing as I do. Yeah, I struggle to actually. I <laughs> I remember the good parts mostly. Yeah, I remember him as being the one who was. Um, Doing the little little extra when the other ones were lacking, and that's why I love him so much. Is that because there was a time that Milan were not that good. Um, we had players that we were pretending that they were better than they actually were, but Bonaventura was one of those that was lifting us. He was. Uh, and it wasn't just because he's very skilled or anything, but he had that uh, determination and that heart. Yes, that heart. That Absolutely. made me, or any any other fan, any other Milan fan will salute Bonaventura when he enters Sincero. Yeah, man, I, I was so emotional when he left. That picture of him in the empty San Siro, just at the touchline holding his like head and hands, you know. Mm -hmm. Fucking hell, man. And think of what he could have done. Think about what they could have done with Milan. The, the level he's been playing at still at his age. Um, it, it, it's a real shame, honestly. Um, he deserved to stay. He really deserved to stay. He was far from finished and he gave Milan so much in such a dark time. Definitely, yeah. He, it doesn't feel like he's regressed that much, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, not at all, to be honest. Um, and even now, he's made his, he made his Italy debut a few months ago. And he scored, was it his first goal for the Italian national team against my country, Malta, the yeah. bastard, yeah, in Ta'ali Stadium, <laughs> in front of my <laughs> very eyes. But yeah, I'm happy for him. No, he deserves, he deserves all the success in the world, man. Yeah, um, Fiorentina totally deserved this victory. Lazio right now find themselves in a little bit of... Uh, a sticky situation when it comes to the league. They're in eighth with 40 points. Um, surely they'll be pushing for a for an Europa League spot. But the, the team, when it comes to simply just quality, depth, understanding of the system, 
a little bit behind. No, they're a little bit behind. They, they sold key pieces without really replacing them. They keep rotating Sarri's. Like, give Sarri some continuity with some players, man. Give him continuity with some quality players. And he'll, he'll, he'll get you over the line, I think. Uh, yes, yes, I agree. Uh, but I will also say that isn't that something you will expect from a coach? Like, it's part of football. You will never have this full continuity unless you're a top team who can afford to pick cherry pick whatever you want to have, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he, he sh I'm starting to feel a little bit, um, how do you say, unsure about Sari. Um, uh, regarding his level, the, the level of that he should be coaching yeah. at? Or? Yeah, getting the most out of his team. He's been there for three seasons now. I don't think I don't see anything particular with Lazio now that makes them stand out as a quality side, really. And I think it's too easy to blame on the players. Uh, he's been there for a time. He has had his own opportunity, and as I tried to say earlier, the reality of football is that you won't be able to keep all the players you want, and you need to adapt to the players you have. Um, and that's the the brutal reality of it. Yes, but um, surely when when you look at the the personnel, let, mm -hmm. let's take this game for example. So three years ago, Sarri joined Lazio. He had Chiro Mobile at the peak of his game, right? Starting up front. Granted, Chiro Mobile is still there, but is it the same Chiro Mobile and not quite? He's it's like Chiro Mobile, but he's lagging a little bit, you know. Um, he, you can see the movement is still very dangerous, but he's not quite as sharp as he used to be, um, especially on the ball. Um, Isaacson, first season. Philip Anderson, don't even get me started on Philip Anderson because I don't know where I stand on him. He's so inconsistent, so wildly inconsistent. Luis Alberto is still there, quality player. Happy that he's still there. A little bit of a difficult player to manage, but I think Sarri has done well to get the best out of him. Cataldi is a deep-lying playmaker. I want a Sarri system. The deep-lying playmaker is so important. Why is Cataldi your deep-lying playmaker? I don't know. I, I think he could have used a little bit of reinforcement from Lotito. You look at the fullbacks in a Sarri system, very important as well. He's still deploying Marusic and Lazzari, who are average. You know, they're, they're okay. They're not bad. They're not great. They're, they're average. So, yes, I, I do agree that, um, that maybe they, they could be doing better. But uh, but I don't think he's got the support of the of the owner personally. I, I think I think that he deserves more support. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fair. I think you make a good point. I do. Uh, I don't know. There is something there that's I don't. I don't. I just don't feel it. Let's say it like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. You make a good point when you say it like that. When you look at one player at a time, they they don't have the quality of the teams around them. I have to admit that. Yeah. And even when you look at the good players, the players that are actually playing pretty well, like Gwendouzi and Isaacson lately, they're new, man. They're, this is their first season in a Sarri side, you know? I mean, and he's already getting quite a good amount of production out of them. Like, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by Gwendouzi. I didn't think that yes. he, he was... Yeah. He, I know he was about this game, you know? And <laughs> Isaacson as well um, has, has really grown into, into a, a decent player for, for Lazio. Castellanos hasn't really hit the ground running, and he's my biggest disappointment, to be honest, because with 
New York, I believe he was, and he went on loan with Girona, where he scored four goals against Real Madrid, and he scored quite consistently. He had pretty much one goal in two games everywhere he went. Um, but not it's not really working for him at Lazio. Yeah. yeah. They currently sit, Lazio, in eighth place with 40 points, while Fiorentina are in seventh with 41 points. So this was a crucial head-to-head over here between these two teams and a fight for that Europa, those Europa League spaces, rather. So, bro, we've got three games left, huh, by the way, and we are two hours, two and a half hours in. Huh? We're so messing it up totally. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Bro, whose show is this? Ah, it's your show. It's our show. Today, this is our show. This is our um, episode, bro. No, it's so your show. Four hours, four hours. Fuck it. New record. Yeah. Once... Matt and I, towards the beginning, had recorded an episode that I think was just so, was it two or three hours? We had named it Bohemian Rhapsody because it was, it was revolutionary the length of the episode for Serial Spotlight. Then we went on to record um, one episode, was called The Extravaganza. I don't know if you remember, it was four hours long. Uh, I'm sure I listened to it, but yeah, I can't remember right now. Yeah. It was it was wide. We recorded it over three days, and we got drunk three days in a row. Ah, yes, that's one when you took the break. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So, bro, we can quickly um, brush over this game. We had Monza taking on Salernitana um, away from home. And Monza won with a score of two goals to nil. Now, personally, I was very, very disappointed by Salernitana and their approach to this game. They never really looked like they were in the game. Um, they were outclassed, outpossessed, outscored, outshot, out everything by Monza. And um, this pretty much put the nail in their coffin, I think, personally. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been there for a while, or it's been in the making. And this was one of the games that they maybe could step up and overachieve a little bit, but nah. We saw nothing. Uh, Monza were in com- complete control from the start to the end of the game. Um, you said earlier that Deola was your f- least favorite player. Uh, yeah. For me, it's Juric. And I think- <laughs> ah, yes. I wanted to ask you this, bro. Why is Juric your least favorite player? Um, how do I put it? He, he, I find him so one-dimensional. It's like, if you take away his physique, for me, and um, this is uh, this is harsh, but I'm saying what I want to say. Uh, if you take away his physique, I barely see him as a football player. To be honest, <laughs> I think the physique is too big part of his game. It's uh, show me that you have something more than your height. Um, in first half, he was wasting chance after, or not wasting, but. It's it, there were chances that good strikers would have utilized better. Let's put it this way, a uh, more fair way. I don't like him. Look, look um, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I think the reason you don't like him is the reason Matt and I are in love with him. <laughs> um, I love the fact that he's a shit house. He's He's just size, man. He's just size and power, and you literally just hoof the ball to him. He's the the typical cross to Juric and inshallah type of player, you know. Um, yeah, and and I think if I, if I'm not mistaken, it was his actual his his header that got Monza the first goal, right? He headed him behind. 
to Pessina, was it? I think it was. Also, Maldini's goal, goal, the first goal. Maldini's goal was the first goal, and then Pessina's was the second. Then one of them mm -hmm. was over the top from behind, right? Where uh, yeah, 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 yeah. he had an assist on the second goal. There was a long ball, and he nicked it. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Um. Look, he's 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 fun for relegation teams. I'm just surprised, to be honest, that Monza bought him. Yeah, that's it. Um, I like him at a Salernitana. I like him at like a Cagliari type of team. I like him at Hellas Verona, but I don't think he should be at a Monza. Yeah, yeah. I I I'm of the same opinion as you. Yeah. Um, I have been slightly impressed, slightly by Wiesman up front for Salernitana. I like his movement. I like what he can do. It's a shame that his teammates are often not on the same page as he is, particularly Castanos, who should have. Played the ball back on multiple occasions when, when Wiesman played it to him, but opted for a shot instead. Um, the 25-year-old Cypriot. Um, yeah, I think that um, if Castanos was on the same page as Wiesman, this could have been a totally different story this game. But Monza simply had too much for Salernitana, who have simply gone through too many changes this season when it comes to players, when it comes to managers, when it comes to everything. Yes. Um... But Kostanos is like, just because you're good at shooting from far doesn't mean that you have to do it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, man. Um, yeah, um, Salernitana, man. It's a shame. I, I was, Matt and I on, honestly originally wanted to go and watch them because their atmosphere is next level as well. The Salerno mm -hmm. fans are absolutely crazy. Um, some of the roughest in the league. And they've got crazy songs. They've got crazy TFOs, you know, we, we really wanted to go there, but we realized that probably it would end up being the case. I would book the flight and by the time we get there, they're already relegated. So maybe we'll just go watch them in Serie B next season. Um, it's better to watch someone who's still in it, someone who has more to fight for, of course, um, someone like Cagliari, who have a great atmosphere too. Yeah, do you find yourself falling in love with these lowly teams or is it just me and Matt? Oh, no, I definitely do. Uh, Salernitana and Cagliari both, uh, I really enjoy them. Uh, but they have to have a little bit of, uh, how do you say, a little bit of oomph about them. A little bit um, of spunk. Yes. Uh, I, I will also shout out to Lecce. I think they're also quite uh, entertaining at times. At times they're shit, but like, yeah, I, I do. And they make the league more fun. Um, there's been this debate about should Serie A reduce to 18 teams or whatever? And like, Please, no, don't take away this pleasure from me. I want Salernitana there, even though they are not playing well. Like, don't take this, um, don't take this atmosphere away from me because Absolutely. I'm sure that, um, fellow patron Andrew from London will agree that, uh, some of the bottoms teams have better atmosphere or they're they're more of a football club than the top prima, top team prima donnas it's it's all about authenticity man and nowadays the game is moving is, is becoming less and less authentic and it's becoming more superficial quite frankly but then you look at the lowly sides and that's where authenticity really sparks and if you if you climb for example up the table um I like, for example, what, what Genoa have, for example, in 12th spot. You look at the, the Genoa Stadium. It's a mm. shithole. The, it's, it's an absolute shithole. Like, like I, 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 I went there. Pardon? 
It's so charming. The, it's charming, yes. Yeah. That's it. It, it. it is charming, though, because, because it's a shithole, but everyone goes and everyone has a great time, regardless of if the toilets are modern or if the toilets are a hole in the floor, regardless of the, the baguette that they give you when you order food. Are you really there for a dining experience or to take a piss in a toilet, bro? Or are you there for some football, you know? Yes. These themes are honestly so genuine and so pure. And, and so authentic. And that's what I love about Serie A. When people ask me, oh, well, why the hell are you upset? I teach many um, Italian teenagers. I can't quite understand my obsession with, with Italian football, bro. Um, and, and quite often they ask me, why, why do you follow Italian football? Some even tell me, like, the Premier League's better. I'm like, no, the Premier League's not better, bro. Um, the Premier League is the Marvel series. Serie A's the godfather. You know, Serie A's authentic. Serie A's a work of art. You look at Bologna Stadium, it's an architectural masterpiece with the fucking tower in the middle. Look at the Genoa fans. They're so passionate, man. The chants that they sing, the, I don't know, the closeness of the fans to the, to the team. I don't know. It's, it's, it just feels realer to me. Yes. Yes. I get, look, I'm not a Premier League fan to begin with, but I get so much enjoy or satisfaction from these teams going. And I think Genoa this season is the best example they have such passionate fans and they have the flags, you know, the entire short end of the Genoa pitch is insanely crowded and everybody it's in colors and everybody's in great spirits. And how can that, that not rub, on, rub off on you? Uh, comparing it to, um, let's not say tourists, but let's say people who can afford to pay 70 euros for a ticket all season round, like, there is maybe 70 euros, let's say 120 euros, which is more, more the case, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have this passion. They don't have this love for the team as general has. It's Absolutely. remarkable. And I don't know if you follow Genoa on Instagram. I do. It's, I do. Yes, it's they are best. Hilarious. They're so funny. They, and they, I'm, I'm falling in love with them. Yeah. But I Genoa have to admit, I, I do switch on uh, based on who's playing well. I'm not like so. Genoa is playing well. I like them this year. I like Verona when they were playing well. I like Lecce in certain periods of the season, and now Lecce is shit. So I don't have the same enthusiasm to watch them. So yeah, I'm not I'm not completely authentic myself. I have to admit. That's okay. That's okay. Um, that's just um, the underdog story, you know. A classic yeah. underdog story. Everyone loves an underdog who's overachieving, who's overperforming. Salernitana that one season won all our hearts, just like Crotona that one season under Nicola, just like Genoa this season. You know, um, so many teams, so many teams have come, stolen our hearts, and left. Yeah, <laughs> um, Salernitana are in twentieth with thirteen points, um, seven points from the other relegation candidates. It's really getting dire right now. They've brought in a manager who's quite offensive in Semplici when I think they should have brought in someone to maybe tighten the ship or just stick with Pippo, man. Things weren't looking too bad with Pippo. The performances were there. The points weren't. But the points are bound to come when the performances are there. I think it was a very risky maneuver to um, sack to bring Pippo in in the first place and then to sack him after a tough run of, of games. Um, I thought it was just bogus from the Salernitana management, and I think they brought this on themselves. Because this is obviously a learning period for Liverani, right? He needs to... <laughs> You don't expect them to just come and beat Monza, you know? Mm, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I know you and Matt have already covered it, so I'm not going to repeat what you said, but if you're going to bring in a guy, give him the chance to do something. Exactly. Simple. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Monza, on the other hand, are in 11. Still there, still quite as impressive as they were when they first got promoted to Serie A last season. Um, another successful year, I would say, for them. They're in 11th with 36 points, pretty much confirming, I think, safety. Because yeah? I don't think I've ever seen a team relegated with 36 points. I think the most I've seen is 34, that Empoli team, that one season. Um, 34 points, and they got relegated, I think, if I'm not mistaken. The one that had Traore and Caputo and all those guys. I went back not too long ago and checked, and I think I wrote down that like 33 is a safe spot. 33, yeah. 34, you're safe. Yeah. So they're probably okay. So another successful season for them in Monza. Let's see how they, let's see what happens to Monza, man, with, without Berlusconi, right? Um, at least Galliani's still there. It's still under the Berlusconi family name. Um, at one point, the the owner of He's a Greek owner of, of Olympiacos, was rumored to be taking over. But thankfully, that didn't come to fruition because um, apparently he's quite a, a messy owner. And he's he's the owner of Nottingham Forest as well, who have been docked points or who are going to be docked points. Uh, something. Your father's team. My father's team, exactly, yes. Up, up the forest, I don't know what they say, but something like that. Um, the next game we're going to be covering was a thriller. Sassuolo 2, Empoli 3. Um, Empoli, of course, um, pretty much doing God's work over here under Davide Nicola. The scoring was opened in the 11th minute by Luperto, assisted by Marin. In the 54th minute, Pinamonte would be relieved to have scored the penalty after the one he missed the previous week. Um, and Bayern Young followed up with another penalty, his third penalty in three games in the 64th minute. Um, Ferrari equalized in the 77th and then Simone Bastoni got his first goal for the club in the 94th minute in another dramatic, um, authentic moment, right? Yes. I think this was my favorite game of the entire round. Yeah? It yeah, was good. I, I, I loved it. It was Empoli driving, Sassuolo coming back and then in the second half it could have gone either way. It was like a total mess and Somehow Empoli got it. I didn't. It could have gone always. It was a great match. Yeah, yeah, it could have definitely gone um, either way. I, I, I was, I would have bet on a draw. Thankfully, I didn't touch this game. Or if I did, it was one of my over one slips that I've been doing lately. Mm -hmm. By the way, they are so much fun, bro. I'm just <laughs> watching every game going, go, go, go! Like no matter who's attacking, <laughs> it's the best way to watch football. Honestly, sure. you enjoy every chance. You think, shoot, shoot. <laughs> Um, yeah, but when it comes to possession stats, Sassuolo had a slight edge. When it comes to the shooting stats, pretty even, to be honest. So it was a shootout end-to-end. -end. Um, that's what I enjoyed about this game, to be honest, as well. It feels like when it was end-to-end, -end. when Empoli weren't attacking, they had to defend because Sassuolo were attacking and vice versa. It was just end-to-end. -to -end -to -end. Um, what do you make of Empoli? You, were you the one who told me you're not too sure if they'll survive, or was that someone else? My mistaken? No, it wasn't me. I'm pretty sure of their survival. Yeah. Um, no, I, Empoli are doing great. Um, they uh, they they had a really good first half. Things crumbled a bit in second half. They lost their organizational. They lost their structure. And maybe by um, coincidence, they came back and got the winner. But 
considering they were the away side and maybe they have a bit less quality than uh, Sassuolo does. That debatable, obviously. Um, I was really impressed. The thing I liked the most, I think, about Empoli is uh, in first half, they had a stretch of, let's say it was a minute and a half, maybe it was two minutes, where they were just passing the ball back and forth on the left side. And Sassuolo couldn't touch it. Uh, they they were completing possession like there was it looked so effortlessly and it got it gave me association with Bologna when they are playing well everything is just flowing per- perfectly effortlessly there is no how they say there is no uncertainty about it they know what they are doing uh, obviously they, that couldn't last for ninety minutes but I am super impressed by the Empoli side and I. I cannot fathom how a coach like Nicola, after just a few weeks, is already making them play that much better. How how is that possible? I don't get it. I I don't understand. Everyone in Italy talks about his humanistic qualities, his human qualities, his his ability to transcend that into the game. I would love to be be a fly on the dressing room. Yes. I have no idea what he does, what he says. But um, honestly, I think it, it's just powerful for a short period of time because none of his tenures have really exceeded more than a season, right? David and Nicola, he always seems to get the sack six months in. So I don't know if he's got it figured out, just like how to give the team a boost a few months. And then maybe. I have maybe. no idea how to follow up on that. <laughs> maybe he's just a very difficult personality to deal with. It could be too. I, I don't know. We can speculate. Yeah. We could go on all day speculating, but but what's what's evident is that this guy is definitely um, a fantastic, fantastic manager, and it's just crazy. You throw him into an atmosphere where everything's on fire, and he'll get he'll get them out, no matter who it is. He's a miraculous save with um, Crotone, with Salernitana, and now with the Sampoli side, who had only scored one goal, and I don't know how many games and came through Baldanzi, who's left since. And now he's got them scoring three goals away from home in a thriller, in a high-scoring thriller in a relegation six-pointer, you know? He, he is in the fire. He, li- yeah. he likes the fire, definitely, yeah. I think so. I just wonder if we'll ever see him on a, on a big team, man. I don't know for him. In a sense, I feel like he's never had the chance, has he? Not like, really. I don't think so. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean a big team, but like to stay in a place for, long, for a longer time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. He's quite young still, isn't he? Or at least he looks. He young. is. He's only fifty years old for a manager that's very young. Yeah. If you look at his managerial career, he's managed the likes of Lumezzane, Livorno, Bari, Crotone, Udinese, Genoa, Torino, and Salernitana. With his longest, they're all a year. Mm. They're all a year, man. Livorno was his longest spell. Other than that, it's a year, just a year. Maybe that's part of his strategy. Like, sign me for a three-year contract, fire me after the first year, and I will collect the salary for two more years. <laughs> Maybe he's got it all figured out, man. This guy. Maybe he's just an elite manager, but he's just, you know, um, enjoying life, re- enjoying life, and playing the the smart hand. Yes, um, surely Sassuolo are okay, right? To survive? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say so, um, but no. 
that's where you and me disagree. We talked about it briefly about an hour ago. Oh, oh, really? Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did, did I mention that when Barahidi comes, I'll be okay? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, um, no, surely the, I'm still of the opinion, and this hour my opinion hasn't changed. Sassuolo are okay. They're okay. Uh, okay. You said it, man. They're okay. <laughs> no. yeah. But um, but you said something earlier about Sassuolo, uh, about the manager, and during the recording, uh, our our friend Luke Mintoff posted ah, something. Ah, yes. Oh, my God. We haven't even spoken about that, man. Mm. Yes, um, I'll, I'll break it short. Um, the Sassuolo Primavera manager was um, was appointed as Dionisi's replacement as the head coach. Um, I haven't even learned his name, but he's been sacked. Um, I'm gonna look before it I could up. even learn his name. What was it? I'm going to look it up. It's uh, oh, okay. I don't know how to pronounce it. Big Bigicia or Bigicia or. Let's call him Begitcha or, or yeah. the bitch for short. Um, yeah, he's been he's been sacked after one game, and guess who they've brought in? Davide Ballardini, dude. The the one guy said, "Why didn't they bring in a guy like Ballardini?" And they literally brought him in while we're recording this episode. It's honestly crazy. I'm, I'm so surprised. Is it really that straightforward? <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're tired of Yakini, right? Yeah. They must be tired of Yakini at this point. But it's funny because, okay, this is going to be a bit, uh, maybe not so good to retell, but we were not recording. We, we took a break. And yeah. that's when we realized that this news. And during this break, we're talking about like how we found it a bit weird that sometimes you as a spectator feel like you have some insight or knowledge that you're not supposed to have. Like, how is this not evident for the people running the club? And that's where you said, like, how, how does not Sassuolo just get Balladini or something? And then five minutes later, Sassuolo gets Balladini and it's like, bro, yeah, <laughs> I should be running the club. <laughs> exactly. Really? Really? Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, I wouldn't mind Sassuolo getting relegated. Don't tell Mint of this, of course, our our um, local Sassuolo fan. I'm just not a fan of the atmosphere, man. I don't... Yeah. They have no atmosphere. Yeah. It feels plastic. The stadium's far away from the city centre. The people of, of um, Emilia or Romania support other teams. It's it's just not a cool team. Yeah, and it's a one-man team. I Okay, granted, I think Tuchvet has been fairly impressive this season. But... No Berardi, no party, and that kind of this season he has gotten an ACL, and now we has continued with some muscle injuries, which isn't that uncommon after an ACL. It's boring to be honest with you. I, f- I find them a bit uninteresting right now. Yeah, it's almost like they're waiting for Berardi. Yeah. yeah, like Lauriente hasn't stepped up at all. I'm starting to wonder what my stance is on Lauriente as a player because. I don't. I hate it when you've got okay, Lauriente, Pinamonte, Berardi. When they're all available, they all play well. 
the second variety is gone, every, no one steps up. You know, mm-hmm. like that says a lot about their mentality, in my in my opinion. In, in this game, I think Lorienta had like at least three good opportunities, at least three minimum good opportunities to shoot, but he shoots it like 10 meters above the goal. <laughs> he has this, I wrote it in the group chat, like he has the biggest backpack on his back. It's just like <clears throat> straight up. Yes. Um, lean back. Yeah, lean back boy. Yeah. Um, and Pinamonti on the penalty kick. Brother, he missed the two penalties before. He missed two penalties like back to back and then he had to retake one. He took the penalty this game. He places it and he does the celebration with the hands behind his ears. And then he's just like stone cold, looking really cool at the crowd. And I'm thinking like, brother, relax. You you, you scored a penalty. I understand that you've been criticized, but please, come on. It's weird. And you've, you've missed the previous two. You haven't scored an open play in a while. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is what yeah. Matiat criticized Vlaovic for a while back as well. It was, it was hilarious. Like, Vlaovic had scored to win his dry spell and he pulled out like three celebrations. It's like, how eager have you been to the point that you haven't even chosen a celebration yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But well, I think Pinamonti had at least two. He had the ears, hands behind his ears, like, uh, I want to hear you now or talk now or whatever. And then afterwards, he was like pushing the hands, his hands downwards. Going like calma, calma. I got this. Yeah. Like, super confident. This taste, I think. Yeah, bro. I I, I agree with you. It's it's insufferable. <laughs> Sassuolo are currently in 18th with 20 points, while Empoli are in 13th with 25 points. It's looking good for them, of course. Um, plenty of points to be won. We're only on match day 26. There are 38. So we'll see um, if Nicola can keep this up. We've got one more game to cover, which featured a spectacular goal, bro. This was Genoa 2, Udinese nil. Um, this game saw a brilliant Retegui overhead kick. Uh, Barney header, thanks to a lovely Goodmanson assist. And then Goodmanson in the second half, getting Christensen sent off for a second yellow card. Um, pretty much a comfortable and dominant display from Genoa. And I know that... Um, when I was planning to record this episode on my own, you had sent me um, quite a few points, um, thankfully, because I, I would have flopped, bro, alone. Um, and you mentioned, um, is Gilardino flying under the radar? Mm. Gilardino is um, a very, very highly rated manager in Italy nowadays. He's considered to be um, one of the hottest up-and-coming prospects in, in management um, in, in Italy. He is tactically flexible. He's adaptable. You know, he, he adapts his system depending on the game. He's not afraid to change things up and to change personnel up, to switch formation every now and then. And to be honest, when it comes to uniting a group, he also seems to be pretty bloody good at it. He took over Blessine, and Blessine was a pretty good manager already when it comes when it comes to these things exactly. And he, like, like Blessine, was the the king of Gagan Press, no, they called them. So, so he had big shoes to fill, um, taking over. But he's done fantastically. He's got them promoted, and he's got them pretty much mid table in Serie A. I think Gilardina is doing a fantastic job. I totally agree. I did not know he. I did not know he had that much praise in Italy, and this yeah. is a little bit why I, I asked the question to you because 
for me, it seems weird that he's like, he's so good. He's doing such a good job, but I don't hear much about him. I don't hear that much about Genoa. And that's why I asked, like, is he being a little bit overshadowed by Thiago Mata, who is also overachieving? Or is he being overshadowed by Monza, who also were, was uh, newly, newly, really, uh, Jesus promoted, Christ, promoted team, uh, who did very well in the f- first season. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, he's found the right balance. And that's, I think it's the main thing is it's not offensive. They are offensive, but they're also very s- solid in defense. They're not let, um, allowing many goals against. Yeah, absolutely. And even with the departure of Dragosin, who many could have easily said, oh, you lose Dragosin, obviously you're going to take a dip defensively. You're not going to be as good, but they've been solid with or without Dragosin. And you get to see, he's got this system, man, where, where you don't really know who's playing where, man. Like, Vasquez had two of the best opportunities in the first half. It was all Vasquez getting on the end of it. Like he, yeah. He's kind of mirroring this this system that like Atalanta and Inter are doing with the where the center backs kind of or like what Fiorentina do with Martinez Quarta. He kind mm-hmm. of does it as well with, with Vasquez. I think Vasquez is a pretty good offensive center back as well personally. He he recently prolonged his contract to twenty twenty nine, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, They'd be happy with that. Vasquez <laughs> is Mexican, right? Yes, so I could get him on the back of my kid. <laughs> that's a name, that's a name. Um, no, honestly, I remember Vasquez from last time in Serie A. I wasn't too impressed with him, I'll be honest. Uh, but it, it seems that he's growing throughout the season. I don't, I, I didn't really notice him very much in the beginning of this season. But now in this game particularly, he's starting to show, he's starting to come up in front of goal and He's getting to those chances, but then again, you can also say he missed them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that, that's that's totally fair. Um, as a defender, he reminds me a little bit of Romero when it comes to the, the rushing, the, the, the way he presses centre-backs. Aggre- uh, def- sorry, he presses strikers a little bit aggressively. You know what I mean? Like, he's... He fouls a lot, and, and he's, he's he often gets booked. And he that was my big criticism with when he was with Cremonese, I believe he was with Cremonese. I think he would often get sent off, man. I think back in the day. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if he was with Cremonese. Yeah, I got a bit uncertain myself. Yeah, um, I, I can check that. But yeah, he's a he's an aggressive dog as a player. But he's really learning how to how to kind of balance that and to add more to his game because you can't just be. All bloody fucking, you know, aggression all the time. Yeah. Vasquez Genoa. Turns out I can't multitask. I truly am male. Now let's see. <laughs> no, he's yes, he was with Cremonese, by the way. He was with Cremonese on loan last season, 25. on goal. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Jake. Goal, <laughs> <laughs> right. What do you think about it? That's the last game, yes. Um, we can pretty much say where they are. Genoa 12th with 33 points, while Udinese are down in 15th with 23 points. Udinese also have a little bit too much quality, right, to be worried about. Yeah, definitely. They are safe. They're yeah. safe, right? Um, I was, dude, Matt and I often talk about Lorenzo Lucca because I'm a big fan of Lorenzo Lucca. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when it comes to you know more more um shit zlatan comparisons that's another shit one if you want to make another shit zlatan comparison for another guy who's <laughs> who's big and has decent technique um however he man when it comes to being a nine it's a shame he's not better in the air um yeah i haven't really thought that much about it but yeah maybe it's not he's more he's better with his feet and his head than yeah and when when you look at a player who's standing at six foot six, six foot seven, you know mm-hmm. he's a giant. The guy is massive. He's taller than most goalkeepers. He's taller than most centre backs. Than all the centre backs, to be honest. You'd expect him to be a little bit more dominant in the air. And but this game, you, um, sorry, yeah. do you not think that's something that's going to come by itself in a way? As as long as he keeps playing at a like high level, he keeps progressing. He keeps doing his. Uh, Workouts, don't you think that's gonna more or less sort itself out? I think so. He's got age on his side, he's quite a young striker 23, 24, something like that. Years old, um, no. yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll only get better in that department. The impressive thing is how, how skillful he is, and how good his first touch is, and how intelligent he is. Those are the, the traits that would it would be concerning if he didn't have at his age. Yeah. So, I guess he's on the right track completely. I'm a massive fan of Lorenzo Luca, don't get me wrong. Um, it's just a shame when you see how wasteful Udinese were in the first half and, and he was the one missing them. And the second half, he scored. He actually scored, but it was deemed to be a foul and it was called off because um, apparently he got the ball first. Slightly controversial. I think it's it's understandable that it was called off. He did, he did swipe. It, it, it was a foul. But what I liked about it is he's showing this, if we're going to do this Latin comparison, He's showing this hunger. He's showing this passion, and I think that's something that Luca has: is that he's he has the t- determination. He doesn't like to lose. He gets yeah. pissed off. He get he's that he has this inner drive to compete and to win, and I like that about him. Absolutely, yes, I I totally agree, bro. Um, yeah, we're we're done, bro. That's a wrap. That's absolutely crazy. We it's three hours and four minutes now. From what I saw from the from the StreamYard thing is that we get two hours of upload time. So I might have to pay the subscription, but I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm willing. I'll do it for a month. Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Like this, this has been great, Alan. I think we should do this more often, personally, if you're willing. Uh, if I'm I'm willing, but if you're willing, I mean, three t- an hour over time. I think Matt is gonna kill us. <laughs> nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. He's gonna no. enjoy listening to it. He's got a 15-minute commute, which means that he'll be listening to this episode for a month. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, if you if you need me, I'm there, but I will be honest, I prefer you and Matt because that's the chemistry that I like. You're great together. So I, I hope I never, never will be needed again, but yeah. Thank you very much for accepting, Al. You really saved me. Um, Honestly, I, I don't mind recording alone, um, but it, it it never comes out quite as quite as good as it does with someone else to bounce off of. Um, you've got a very good um, amount of ball knowledge, to be honest, bro. You could you spoke well about every single team. Um, it shows you you either watch very carefully or you listen to a very good podcast. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, which one? It's either one of those. I don't know which. Yeah. No, I, I do listen to great podcasts. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening, guys. We have been Alan and Jake. Um, thank you, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. This 
is Serie Spotlight. If you like Serie A or have ever liked it in the past, it's a good opportunity for you to listen once a week and you'll get filled in. In the football weekend, that's like the main dish. But then a few days later, you drop your episode and that's like the dessert. And the dessert is just perfect. It's good, the cake. It makes it feel like we're all sitting in a room together, just BSing with each other. The atmosphere is fantastic. I promise nobody will ask you to send boob pics. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. I love how you go into so much detail and show so much passion towards each and every team. Literally, no team is left undiscussed. When I listen to you, it's like I'm talking to you in a pub. It's like I'm chatting to a friend and you're chatting to me.